3: this is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We are
0: live on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning. Is producing today's show, and I bleep and hate this place. Now nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was Alec Bohm last night. I think a little too much is being made of it, but I do want to get into the game and what Bohm said and what Bohm did, and the Phillies coming back, and the Phillies in general. We'll get into it. Alec Bohm last night. You know, I think we've all been at work and said, man, I bleep and hate this place today. Right? We've all had that day. You have, I have, Alec Bohm has. The amount of attention this is getting is bewildering to me. The guy says, I bleep and hate this place, right? That's essentially what he said. And then he owned it afterwards by saying, Yeah, I said it, right? I did say that. And he says, I didn't mean it. Now, does he mean it? He probably does. You think uh, Bohm is happy right now the way he's playing? No, of course he's not. He, A butcher in the field, he's frustrated as can be. And I think the frustration came boiling over last night. He looked like a clown on the one throw. He can't keep his feet. He's falling over. The ball hits the pitcher's mitt. He goes to throw at the first. He's falling. The ball's wide. And he commits three throwing errors in the game. Boom to me, has completely lost confidence in throwing the baseball. That's where his failures are really magnified. The throwing errors, they are the same all the time. He's got a bad throwing motion from third. He's wild all the time. And he literally has no confidence when the ball's hit to him. He might field it, but if he fields it, he's almost surprised And then once he does field it, getting the ball from the corner of the third base side to the other side of the bag, uh, to the first base side, is an adventure for him. The Phillies, to me, did this kid a disservice when they sent him down last year and did not change his position. Because... He has regressed as a third baseman. He's not better. You sent him down to the minors. Did anybody work with him? Did anybody help this guy get better at third base? It doesn't appear they did. He committed three throwing errors in the one game last night. One of them on a play that is on the highlight reel everywhere. Him flailing and falling down. Now, here's my thought on this. Could that moment last night have actually been the turning point for Alec Bohm? And I asked that question of, here's this guy. How many people out there realize and remember Alec Bohm was the third overall pick in the draft? The third overall pick in the draft. He wasn't some guy they got in the fifth round and just kind of shot his way up the organization. He was drafted to change the organization. When you're drafted number three overall, the organization is hoping that you are a big, impactful player. I get it. The Major League Baseball draft isn't one of those avenues that many of us remember. Oh, he was the number one pick, or he was the number two pick, or... He was this, no, I get it. But more and more, the Major League Baseball draft is where you need to find your talent. If you start to look back at some of the recent drafts, Bobby Witt Jr., number two pick in the draft in 2019, he's the starting third baseman for the Kansas City Royals. You're starting to see players. Bryson Stott, the number fourteen pick in the 2019 draft, he started on opening day for the Philadelphia Phillies. You're starting to see the players that were drafted in eighteen and nineteen and seventeen perform. And the e- Phillies need Alec Bohm to be that guy. They need Alec Bohm to perform, and so far. He has been about as nondescript as you can be as a player. Nobody knows this guy's personality. Has anybody even heard Alec Bohm ever talk? He got his first opportunity to talk last night. And did he win people over? Seems like he did. In a very odd way. I hate your face. I'm sorry for saying that. I didn't really mean it. I love you! It is an indication for all athletes in this town. We just want you to be real. If Ben Simmons could follow the lead of Alec Bohm, we might be in a different place. If Doc Rivers can take some notes from Alec Bohm, we might not think of Doc in the same arrogant light. Here's what Boehm said last night. Hey, Alec, you said you bleeping hate this place. Is that accurate? Emotions got the best of me.
4: You know, I said it. And do I mean it? No. And it's a frustrating night for me, obviously. You know, made a few mistakes in the field. and. Look, these people, these fans, they just want to win. And I mean, you heard it. We come back. They're great. And I guess I'm just, I'm sorry for them. You know, I,
5: I don't mean that. And emotion just got the best of me. So you actually love this place? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I do. Yeah.
0: Is this Bohm's kind of aha moment? Is this his opportunity to kind of have an eye opening experience to say, you know what? Maybe I do like it here. Now, keep in mind, Alec Bohm is from Omaha, Nebraska. Somewhere in middle America, as the Counting Crows once said, he's not used to being in a place like Philadelphia that cares about every single pitch. For good or for bad, they care about every single pitch. This guy was the number three overall pick in the draft and nobody knows who he is. And last night, he had the eye-opening experience of being caught on camera saying, I hate this place. And at that moment, I think he's being truthful. I hate this place. I'm making errors. I can't stand it. You want to be anywhere but the spot that you are standing in in that moment. With everybody staring at you, you know, normally when you're the number three pick, people are excited. They can't wait to see you. He was the runner-up for the Rookie of the Year. People were excited for this guy. And oh, how quickly things change when you aren't what we thought you were going to be. Alec Bohm gave us a taste. In 44 games, he hit 3:38 with four home runs. He looked like he was going to be our guy. The number three pick, we finally found something in the draft that's going to help turn our team around. Enter 2021, and he hit 247 with seven home runs and made a multitude of errors in the field that made him almost unplayable. Now the new hot prospect, 14th overall pick, Bryson Stott, is ready to go, and we are already in with the new and out with the old. Alec Bohm is 25 years old. Alec Boehm is a guy that we should all be cheering for, not because he said, I don't like it here, but because they need him. This organization needs the number three overall pick to perform. I think there's an opportunity for Boehm to take this and learn from it and Maybe even excel because of it. Maybe he now understands, hey, I hate this place. Hey, did you really say you hate it here? I did. The emotions got the better of me. But you know what? These fans just want to win. Maybe somebody got to him. Maybe Bryce Harper. Maybe Schwarber. Maybe one of these guys have got to him and said, dude, these guys just want to, they want the best for you. And maybe Bohm just had his aha moment. Maybe Boehm just had his chance to say, you know what? You're right. If I make an error, who cares? Let's get past it and let me get a base hit to help win a ball game. And that's what happened last night. So I'm hopeful because I like Boehm the hitter. I think Boehm is a guy that has struggled at the plate because of his complete meltdowns in the field. But in 2020, he showed what kind of hitter he can be. 338 batting average, 400 on base percentage, 481 slugging. These are all really good numbers. These are numbers that he could build off of. And so far right now, he's three for three. I know he's not going to hit 1,000. But the number that I like is he's three for three, he's got three walks, he looks dialed in at the plate, he's got two doubles, he's driving the ball. So, hopefully, the moment last night that we saw from Alec Bohm essentially getting called out for, look, I think Bohm met it in that moment. I don't think he had any reservations about, I hate this place right now. Right? I think everybody has been at that moment in their life. You having a bad day at work? God, I hate this place. We've all said it. You've said it. I've said it. Bohm has said it. Bohm just happened to get caught. But when he was asked about it, he didn't say, No, that's not what I said. I said this. Well, no, we all saw your lips. We saw what you said. And he owned it. Hopefully, this is the step that Boehm can take forward to get from this nondescript. I'm not saying people hate Alec Boehm. I didn't say that. What I said is, I think he's just been so nondescript. As the number three overall pick in the draft, he has no flair He's got no flavor. He's got, he's vanilla. And that's okay. But if you're going to be that guy, you better be productive. Mike Trout's not the most colorful guy in the world, but he's pretty darn good. I'm not asking him to be Mike Trout, for God's sakes. But you were the third overall pick in the draft, and I don't really know anything about you. Other than, mm, you're not a very good defensive third baseman at this point of your career. Don't be that guy. Give us something else to recognize you by. Hey, you're the guy that said you hated it here, and then, voila, had your aha moment. Now he has recognized and understood what a guy like Ben Simmons could not figure out. The fans want you to be successful. Now, they're going to pick and choose pitch by pitch whether they cheer for you or not. If Bryce Harper strikes out with the bases loaded in an RBI situation with the team down two, he's going to get booed in that moment, whether he won the MVP award or not. This is like all things in life, which sadly our society hasn't figured out yet. It's fluid. Just because I have an opinion of something today – I gain more information and my opinion can change. If it doesn't, that's a bad job by me. If I accumulate more information, shouldn't I then be also able to change my opinion if the information I have obtained has created a different thought process? On Saturday, Bryce Harper said, all the right things, and got cheered. I'm the MVP, but I love when you, the fans, tell me we're not playing very well. Just because I booed you in one moment doesn't mean I won't cheer you in another. Too many times, these players feel like if I'm getting booed, then I'm not liked. It's not you personally that's not liked. It's the performance or the action that you have displayed in your job. And I get it. You made the decision to pick a job that is very high profile. I also get that type of response to things that I say from time to time. And I laugh and I laugh. My answer is, hey, I'm excited that you know who I am. You don't have to agree with me, but you know me. And that's a win for me. What's the song? <laughs> uh, some poppy song. But I don't know most of the people who are, that don't have nice things to say about me. I'm just flattered that they know me. Alec Bohm needs to be flattered that people care how he performs. And if you do that, Alec Bohm, I promise you, it's a lot easier. It is a lot easier than caring about every single person not agreeing with one of your t- takes, booing you because you made an error. They don't like that you are you got long hair. Who cares? Be Alec Bohm. Be the guy who became the third pick in the draft. And if you get cheered because you hit three home runs in a day, great. You're going to get booed the next day after you hit three home runs if you strike out the first at bat. Not because they don't like you, Alec Bone, because they didn't like the result. It could have been anybody in that spot. If they struck out, they're going to get booed. And yes, it is over the top in this market. But you know what? That's what makes this market what it is. And I don't think that Alec Bone can't play in this market. I think he just needs to understand, like most guys, Ben Simmons showed he can perform in this market. He's a three-time All-Star. I know most people don't like that. But he's already shown he could play in this market. And Alec Bohm has shown he can play too. And if they can get him to understand that the fans don't not like Alec Bohm. they don't know Alec Bohm. I think that's really the story here. Is These fans don't know who Alec Bohm is. They don't know anything about him. You have not given the fans any reason to embrace you or support you or say, you know what, I like this guy. You're just a kind of, mm, you know, the meme of Homer Simpson kind of wallowing away into the bushes. That's kind of Bohm right now. He makes the error and he's like, oh, I'm going to get the heck out of here. Bohm has allowed this thing to manifest. And I think his emotions got the best of him in saying it. Again, I think he meant what he said. I hate it here right now. And he might hate it here in general. He might be sick of getting booed. But they're not booing Alec Bohm. They're not booing you, Alec. They're booing your performance. And when you come to terms with that, it's a lot easier to do your job. 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. You know, so many times we have these hopes for these players. We have these hopes for Alec Bohm. He was the third pick in the draft. He's going to be this great player. This Phillies team just needs Alec Bohm to be a good player right now. They don't need him to be an all star, they don't need him to be you know, an MVP. They just need him to be a part of something. Because you know what? This Phillies team is, look, four games into the season. No one's proclaiming them World Series champions. But they're fun. They believe. They have a lineup now that you can trust. They have a bullpen that seemingly is better than it's been in the last five to ten years. Do any of these things add up to making the playoffs? No, but there is something, my friends. There is something about the, when the Phillies are good, when the baseball team is good, it's just different, right? Football's only once a week. You get that day on the Friday where everybody's wearing their jersey. They're excited for the game. You Sunday, you go to Wawa, you get your coffee before the game. It's only one day, though. The Sixers, they play, you know, one night here. They're off two nights. They play a night there, off two, one here. Baseball's every day. It's like a good friend. They're always there for you. And when the baseball team, when the Phillies are good, it's every day. It's a friend. They never say no. Hey, you want to hang out today? I'm here. Hey, you want to hang out tomorrow? I'm here. Hey, you want to hang out on Thursday? I'm here. A good baseball team is the best of any sport there could be because it's every day. Having a good football team is great. Believe me, when the Eagles are good, everybody's happy. But Tuesday's not fun during the football season. Wednesday's not fun during the football season. You get one day during the football season that's fun. Baseball's fun every day. And that's what we're hopeful for with this baseball team. And last night, we saw a little bit of reasons why this baseball season might be fun. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash you can comment 609-403-0973. Mike, baseball's a weird sport. Something like this could be something to cure the yips. If not, Stotts, the guy moving forward. I like that. The guy already wants to replace Bohm. He, he apologized. We're talking about him having an aha moment, and you want him off the field. I'd start him again tonight. I'd put Bohm right back out on the field tonight. Hey. Last night happened. You made the three errors. We're going to go right back to you. That's what Doc Rivers needs to do. I'll explain coming up on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Hey, I'm Mike Gill. We got three, uh, four chances for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip. One lucky listener will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice with airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. That listener will qualify today at 255, 355, 455, and 555 on the Sports Bash and 655 tonight on game night. I am Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 espn free mobile app.
3: Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader.
0: Sports Bash is brought to you by East Coast Roofing, siding and windows, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up online, eastcoastroofing.com. Mike Gill with you. 609-573-3776 on the phones.
6: 609-403-0973
0: on the text board. You can text us through the free mobile app on your phone, powered by First Bank of Sea Isle. Messages through the app, 609-403-0973. So what I said, does the Phillies lineup out? Do you know, Josh? Have you seen the Phillies lineup yet today? I have not seen it uh, yet. It usually comes out around this time. I don't know if it's out yet. They're uh, taking on the Mets, but it is not out as of yet right now. Uh, Phillies did make a move today. Holy Cross alum Jeff Singer a left-hander he's got a very interesting story you know uh mike adams is the local kid from our area who has a really cool story you know he has pitched in like uh, the men's uh, acbl played in the independent leagues and he got discovered on a video like a um, showcase video from uh, bfa sports and the philly signed him well this jeff singer has a similar type of story where he was pitching in, like, the independent leagues and the men's leagues. I think he was working at a car dealership when the Phillies finally called him, and he has been in the Phillies system for, like, seven years, and he has gotten the call-up today. I don't know if there's a corresponding move. My understanding is that Corey uh, Knable is – got flu-like symptoms, whatever that means in this day and age, and maybe those flu-like symptoms are a little worse than having the flu, or he might be out for more than the flu would have you out for, for whatever that means. Brad Hand closed the game last night. Singer is up now. The Phillies, though, I said, and I don't know who's pitching for the Mets tonight. I probably should have done that research beforehand, but... Is it Scherzer pitching tonight for the Mets? If that's the case, I would imagine that you're going to, yeah, the, McGill. Yeah, McGill's pitching, so he's a right-hander. So it's Wheeler making his first start. That's a story in itself. McGill's pitching. He's a right-hander. So I would imagine you're going to get Stott in the lineup tonight. But Doc Rivers, I said, could learn something if the Phillies play Bohm today. And that is, listen, you can make mistakes and be a young player and perform at the same time, but I want to show you I have confidence in you. And what I mean by that is the message that Doc Rivers gives his young players sucks. If Doc Rivers was my coach and I was a young player, that would suck. It flat out would suck to have Doc Rivers be my coach as a young player. And I imagine there could be people saying, oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. I don't care what you tell me at practice. Are you a human being? Young players only gain confidence off of what they perform in games. And when they play well in the game, when given an opportunity, and then they don't get the opportunity to play You are hurting the confidence of that player. Now, look, I get it. Sometimes there's a player that plays really well at practice. They get an opportunity in the game and they play well, but there just might not be an availability for them. Maybe there's just somebody in front of them that is also performing. That's not the case with what's going on with the Sixers. I don't care how much basketball Doc Rivers has played and or coach nor his staff. Everybody with a pulse can see that DeAndre Jordan stinks. And look, the caveat is, at one point of DeAndre Jordan's career, he was really good. And it happened to be when he played with Doc Rivers. That is no longer the case. And if Doc can't figure that out, then I have to question how much basketball he has played and watched just because people play, you know, that whole, wall. you didn't play the game, that doesn't mean skedaddle to me. There's a lot of people who play the game who have no flipping clue about the X's and O's and the ins and outs of a sport. They just happen to be more physically talented than somebody else. And the less physically talented person studies the game more and has a better understanding of the X's and O's and the ins and outs. Now, I'm not accusing Doc Rivers of not having any understanding of the game, but he's not doing a very good job of evaluating his current roster's talent. And my point of Doc Rivers could learn something from this Alec Boehm situation is you put a young player in the game and he makes mistakes, that's going to happen. But if he also performs while he's making the mistakes, if you don't go back to him, what is your message to that guy? You've lost him. You know, he has mishandled the whole situation here. Having this conversation earlier today, Isaiah Joe, he should be getting minutes over Maz. Why? You know what Maz is. You know his positives, you know his negatives, you know his pluses, you know his minuses. You know what Korkmaz is. You wasted months of November and December and Tuesday night in February giving minutes to a guy you already know what the results are. And if you know what the results are and you know those results aren't good enough to get you to where you want to be, why not try somebody else? You might just be surprised. We know Korkmaz is a streaky shooter. For the nights that he's blistering hot and scores 25, the other nights he's ice cold and gives you five. He's not a very good defensive player. That we know. Isaiah Joe, I don't know what he is. I'm not telling you he's going to be 45% from three-point range but maybe he shoots 38% from three-point range. You don't know unless you give him the opportunity. This isn't a situation, right, where you have a player in front of you where, hey, I'm a pretty good player. Yeah, but you know what? Joel Embiid's playing in front of you. Hey, I'm a pretty good player. Yeah, but you know what? Tyrese Maxey is really good. I I don't have a a gripe with Maxey. But I do have a gripe with why did Furkan Korkmaz get 67 games and 20 minutes a game to show that he's pretty mediocre? Why did Isaiah Joe only get 11 minutes a game to show what he can do? Why does Paul Reed only get 38 games? Why does Charles Bassey only get 23 games? I don't need to watch Paul Millsap and DeAndre Jordan. We've seen what they can do over their careers. Yes, they were once All-Stars, but that time has come and gone. Doc Rivers and, hopefully, Joe Girardi. Right? Maybe, just maybe, Joe Girardi will surprise me tonight. And play Alec Bohm. I hope he does. And if he does, I hope Doc Rivers follows suit and says, you know what? I'm going to play the more talented players. And if they make mistakes, huh, so be it. Should have been doing that all along. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN couple texts. Terry and Galway says, Mike, how about Legler putting you on blast this morning on the national broadcast? Did he mention me on the national broadcast? He said you're taking Toronto very lightly. That's not what you said at all. No, that's certainly not what I said. I said I'm quite concerned. Did Legler blast me this morning on national uh, radio? On radio or TV? Terry? Yeah, can you give me a specific uh, show or something? We can look it up. I'm flattered that he thought about me. But I if you're, you're right. Well Terry's saying whatever he said, that I, that's not what I said at all. But I'd like to try to get the context before I have to fire back at my boy Legs. 609-4030973, 609-4030973. When we come back, it's the Phillies mailbag. We've got the mailbag questions for you, from you. Frank Close is here answering your Phillies mailbag questions. And that's coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back
3: to the Sports
0: Bash on
3: 97.3 ESPN.
0: Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Travel with the pros at Philly Sports Trips if you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips. It's time to check out the full trip lineup at phillysportstrips.com. I'm Mike Gill phillies at home tonight zach wheeler makes his debut we'll get into that the mailbag and more phillies with our phillies insider frank close from 97.3 espn.com as he joins us for the tuesday edition of the mailbag as he joins me here on the sports pass live on 97.3 espn frank what's up bud Not much. How are you, Mike? I effing hate this place, man.
6: (laughs) I don't know. You might talk about that first.
0: Yeah, well, I know. I said I don't think it's all that big of a deal. We've all had that moment in our lives where, you know, you're at your job and you're like, I hate this place today. Um, But ultimately, I do think he is unhappy I don't want to say here. I just think he's unhappy with his current situation. He probably wants to play every day. He's not happy with the way he's playing. But could this be an aha moment for him? Could this be that, like, hey, they're not booing Alec Bohm. They're just booing
6: the, my performance. I, I sure hope so. I, I think, if anything, those comments he was caught making on the broadcast, not suitable for work or for family-friendly radio uh, in South Jersey. But he was... Clearly, it clearly was in his head. I think that, you know, I I feel like, you know, sometimes we said. I think I said this to you before, Mike, you know, his poor defense had found its way into his at-bats. And so I think after those three errors, I thought, you know, these aren't the errors that he would make before. I didn't see him making these errors in 2020 when no fans are around. So maybe this was something that had just been building. You know, he makes an error, he hears the boos, he starts being self-conscious probably heard everything that people were saying about him heading into this year, that his defense isn't going to cut it. So, you know, th- this might have boiled over here. And, and whether he says that and we hear it or not, it seems like he's carrying this to the ballpark with him every day. Hopefully, and here's the possible silver lining, he drew that, that really strong walk, really really exhibited some good plate discipline to start that rally in the eighth where the Phillies scored five, come back to win. So maybe after the game, he's sitting there thinking, you know what? This isn't so bad after all. Yeah, I mean, I'm
0: wondering, Frank, if a Bryce Harper or a Kyle Schwarber got to him and said, look, they're not booing you, Alec. They're booing the play. You know, you make an error. It doesn't have to be you. It could have been Mike Schmidt playing third base. They're going to boo that play, not you. And it seemed like he said, Look, yeah, my emotions got it. They just want to win the fans. And then I like Jimmy Salisbury, who said, So you do like it here? And he's, Yeah, you know what? I do. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm realizing I do like it here, which I don't know. But it has been a I said, I don't think we realize. This guy was the third pick in the draft. And we barely know anything about this guy. He rarely talks, he's been very nondescript.
6: And let's remember, too reporters were not allowed in the clubhouse the last two years. Like, this is new. Like They're letting some of the Baseball Writers Association of America in to the clubhouses this year. No one's really had the chance to really talk to him directly like, like Jim Salisbury did in making that comment you, you just mentioned a moment ago. But, you know, Alec Bohm came up in that 2020 pandemic. He didn't have to answer to the media and he didn't even play in front of fans. And then, of course, he has this big drop off last year, which just makes me wonder that, you know, was the is this getting to him? In which case, I think you're absolutely right. It's time for a veteran to sort of intervene. And, you know, I think the Phillies still have high hopes for him, you know, down the line. And the only way that he's going to get there is by playing. So maybe maybe after a game like this that was so embarrassing for him to start that he ends up getting that key walk, being part of the celebration at the end. Maybe this is the time he turns the page. Because right I, now I look at his stat line and he's got a 625 fielding for a percentage.
0: I hope so. Because, and I, I actually hope that I haven't seen a, a lineup out tonight. I hope they play him tonight. I hope they just go right back to him. And I, I, I feel like that would be a strong move of support in terms of confidence to say, hey, you struggled in the field last night. We're going to go right back to you.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you there. Uh, I think that's a that that is a big step. Uh, lineup's not out yet. The Phillies actually just announced a roster move since I've been on here. Uh, Corey Knebel is headed to the COVID list, and Jeff Singer, South Jersey native, is coming up from Lehigh Valley. Uh, hopefully, he gets to make a make, make a major league appearance during this during this uh, COVID stint. That it looks like Corey Knebel is on. Uh, Corey Knebel was reported as having some flu-like symptoms, which may be COVID symptoms. For all we know. And also, Duble Herrera has begun his rehab assignment today officially. So uh, so maybe that's why there's no lineup yet. There's a lot of moving parts today, but I agree with you. This would be a good time to get him back out there. All right, uh, let's get into, by the way, uh, big rally last night
0: down for, I thought D.D.'s hit got lost in the sauce a little bit there last night. Big, and I think you tweeted, you know, uh, exaggeration of his demise, you
6: know? Yeah. Making fun of the old Mark Twain quote, uh, that no rumors of my demise
0: are have been exaggerated.
6: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, DD Gregorius not done yet last year. He was really hurt. He could not move his elbow. I expected that if he was healthy, we might see more of the old DD that you saw back in 2020. And you thought, man, there's no way you got to let this guy go. So, uh, I, I think a lot of fans that have given up on DD will, will will rethink their positions, uh, but he makes the Phillies so much better if you can get this out of him because then you can play mix and match at third base with Alec Boehm, with Bryson Stott. You, you can keep everybody fresh, and the more depth you have, the better off you are. Um, all right, let's get
0: into the mailbag here with Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com is where you can submit your mailbag questions at Frank Close on twitter um this is an interesting question from john because uh for the month of april you're going to get a 27th and 28th player uh who goes when they go to a 26-man roster
6: yeah it's kind of asking who are those extra players so to speak but uh I, i think it's kind of hard to figure that out uh phillies would have had sam coonrod on the roster had he been healthy and, and so it gave some guys some other opportunities. Uh, you know, if the Phillies thought maybe they might need Christopher Sanchez and Bailey Falter in the starting rotation at first. They ended up uh, not being needed there. And so they, they filled out the bullpen. Uh, Damon Jones, we saw him give up a couple of runs the other day. Uh, Damon Jones is probably that guy who's last on the list. And ahead of him, probably Christopher Sanchez at this point. But, you know, like Nick Nelson, uh, Nick Nelson was a big part of last night's win. That 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 dominant relief performance really set the stage for that Phillies comeback. And and Nick Nelson is someone the Phillies kinda under the radar acquired from the Yankees this offseason. Uh you know, if he's pitching like this, you're gonna have a, you're gonna be hard pressed to send him out when it's time for the rosters to to go back to smaller size. So I think it's one of those things where they're not really counting anybody as the quote unquote extra guys, but when May first hits and they go back to, to twenty six the ones that are performing are going to stay because that's what this game's all about. By the way, lineups out. Schwarber, Real Muto. Harper is the DH tonight. Castellanos
0: is going to play right. He's batting fourth. Hoskins, DD. Stott is at second. Car- uh, uh, Camargo's playing third. And uh, Musiati is in center field for Wheeler tonight. I guess they want to give Wheeler uh, a better defensive uh, alignment out there. So they're going to go Camargo at third, Musiati in center.
6: And get those lefty bats in there because uh, Gene Segura, of course, is a righty and Camargo is a switch hitter. That gives them some options from the left side to face um, Miguel, who is a righty. Um, Interesting question here. I've seen this bantied about on
0: social media. Dan, is this Phillies lineup better than the world champion
6: 2018? I say no. And, and And I want to preface this by saying in some ways this is not really the fairest of comparisons because... We are looking at a team that has, by design, a designated hitter versus one that did not have a designated hitter, right? So that, that's definitely one person that you're, you're going to have extra right now that you didn't have back then. And think back, you know, if 2006 came along and Ryan Howard emerges and Jim Tomey's is at first base, well, guess what? All of a sudden, Ryan Howard's not blocked. Jim Tomey could stay. Imagine that 2008 team with Jim Tomey as a DH hitting those 34 home runs he hit that year. And that 845 OPS he put together for the White Sox, so it's never it's never really going to be an even comparison. Uh, but you know, when I look at the two, I think the Phillies lineup right now has some clearer holes. There's no clear center fielder at the moment, and we're still seeing the Bohm stott Gregorius thing kind of play itself out on the left side. You know, i you know, when you look at that 2018, you have to ask the question: Where are the holes? You know, once the Phillies signed Pedro Feliz, then all of a sudden you got Feliz hitting seventh and Carlos Ruiz batting eighth. There's no hole in that lineup as you go one through eight. Yeah, their pitcher hit, which doesn't happen now. But So I got to give the nod to, to 2008. And for nothing else, I think, I think the Phillies have one of these generational talents in Bryce Harper right now. But back then they had three. They had Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Ryan Howard. I don't think you can replicate that.
0: Final uh, mailbag question for today here on the Sports Bash. Uh, Carmargo's uh, starting at third tonight. Bryson Stott. Um, what's Boehm's future? What's his value?
6: You know, I still keep seeing people want to trade Boehm. You know, the question's almost worded like, "Well, who do they who do they have to trade?" I think you need to keep everybody. And you know, when you look ahead to beyond twenty twenty two, Gene Segura is going to be a free agent. Didi Gregorius is going to be a free agent. Assuming that Bryson Stott nails down one infield position, whether he's playing sh- second or short or third, you still need another infielder. So you, right now, trading Alec Bohm while his value is arguably the lowest, isn't going to net you anything. But if you can work with him, uh, maybe take take the positive steps from now, and again, if this if his defense is something that he's worried about way too much that's perhaps causing some of these errors, if you can get him right, now you have... One of those infield holes figured out, and then if you have Stott and Boehm and you can start them, well then you're only in need of one more middle infielder, and you can get who you, you know you have a lot more options that way, right? You know if if Stott could play second, if Stott could play short, you know maybe you feel a lot better moving ahead to 2023. So I, I think I think you got to get him right. And and by the way, I think the the question thought well, can Camargo start? I think Camargo is a really nice piece. He's essentially here to be the Freddie Galvis of 2021. Play on the left side, some third base, some shortstop, uh, switch hitter. That's a really nice piece to have in your lineup. Good defense. That's what you want. You know, Zach Wheeler, they clearly want the defense today. And so as they did with Zach Eflin the other day, ground ball pitcher, Camargo got to start at third. So I think you're going to see Joe Girardi mix and match the spots where Camargo's in. I don't know if he's going to be that 19 home run bat he was for the Braves a few years ago when he was playing every day. I think his days as a starter might be might be done in this league. You know, you, you only get so many chances to do that. But he's somebody if you have him, then you need to fill 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 a gap for a couple of weeks while somebody's on the IL. He's a nice player to have on your roster. So. I think that's somebody they might be interested in sticking around after this year, but uh, I don't see a starting job going to him.
0: All right, uh, Frank, close his mailbag. He'll be back uh, later on this week. We'll talk more Phillies. They got the Mets tonight. Wheeler makes his uh, debut for the Phillies. He has not faced a live hitter all all season yet, uh, but he'll do that uh, or spring training. Nothing. He'll do that tonight for the first time. We'll be interesting to see what Wheeler the Phillies get. Frank, appreciate it, man. Always good to talk to you, Mike. All right, Frank's mailbag is back on Tuesday. He'll be back later on this week, but right now. All right, we're looking for caller number seven. One lucky listener, caller seven. One lucky listener will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles Road Game of their choice, which includes airfare, hotel stay, a pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles Road Game. Be caller seven right now, 609 573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller number seven. All courtesy of Philly Sports Trips, do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest & Sons' old-fashioned butcher shop in Brigantine. We'll be live Thursday, April 28th, the first round of the NFL Draft. From two to six at Slack Tide Brewing Company, and caller number seven, we will see you there. Caller seven, right now. Good luck.
3: South Jersey's play-by-play home for the Eagles, Touchdown. Sixers, oh, yeah. and Flyers. Ninety-seven-three ESPN WENJ WENJ HD Millville Atlantic City on Town Square Media Station. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All
0: right, 3 o'clock hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Congratulations, Eric and Mays Landing. Eric is our latest qualifier for the Pick Your Trip, which will be live at Slack Tide Brewing Company. April 28th for the NFL Draft. One lucky listener will win a road trip for two to the Eagles' road game of their choice. Eric and Mays Landing, you are our latest qualifier. That's all thanks to our friends at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest & Sons' old-fashioned butcher shop in Brigantine. The NBA playoffs begin this weekend, but to finish the field, the play-in games. They start tonight. Break them down, we'll talk some Sixers, Raptors, and the NBA playoffs. Mitch Lawrence, Sirius XM NBA Radio joins me right now on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. My friend Mitch Lawrence, how are you? Mike, I'm uh,
5: all set for the big play-in game if uh, people are into that. I mean, we'll see. Look, I, I think the Clippers are in a great spot in Minnesota. We'll see what shakes out in the East with Brooklyn. But uh, I can't get fired up about games like uh, between New Orleans and San Antonio. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, San Antonio's got like, rough. What,
0: what, what's San Antonio have, like 38 wins or something like that? I mean, oh, All
5: the losses. I mean, you know, you got these sub-500 teams. You know, it's amazing that Minnesota's 10 games over 500, yet they still have to prove that they're worthy of the playoffs by playing a play-in game. That's ridiculous. I mean, the, the league continues to tell people we don't value our regular season. That's what they're basically telling people. So a lot of people like the play-in. Uh, I I really don't like it, especially when you've got a lot of sub-500 teams in it. That's no good.
0: Yeah, I, li- I, I agree. Uh, by the way, for the play-in, like a team, for instance, um, now this kind of worked out differently than, you know, Cleveland was in that seventh spot for the longest time. Now Brooklyn's there. I don't think the team that finishes seventh should have to play for the right. chance to be the seventh. They've already
5: earned the seventh. Oh, yeah. Right, right. And I... For me, I don't like the playing at all. No, I mean if you're if you're below five hundred, you just don't follow well, think... so long. You don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But the league does it for money, and they think that they think it protects from tanking. Who cares if teams tank? No, I, I, I'm and... more concerned about uh, the, the lousy teams that are. You know, there are twenty teams. The playoffs basically are starting with twenty out of thirty teams in. That's good for the NBA. That's good for the league. I don't think so. Yeah,
0: like, and you know, the thing to me is. I feel like Miami and Boston are at somewhat of a disadvantage here that they don't know who they're playing until like the night before almost, whereas Philadelphia-Milwaukee, they're getting a chance to do all the
5: scouting, all the video all week long. That's, that's, you raise an interesting point. They are kind of getting penalized a little bit, especially when a seven or eight that they're going to see is a team like Brooklyn. Yes, you know, usually a seven or eight doesn't have guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on. We'll see how it shakes out for Brooklyn tonight. But uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. Do you
0: think any of the teams were trying to avoid Brooklyn?
5: Yes, I do. I think that there are a bunch of teams that were trying to avoid Brooklyn because of the fact that now listen. On paper, or you know you, what I just said about Durant and Irving, that's true. We also saw games this year where they played and they lost. Uh, Durant and Irving scored 86 points in a game or 80 points, and they lose the game because they, they don't stop anybody. I mean, teams are going to find when they play the Nets, as you know, that the Nets are a bad defensive, a terrible defensive team, and that it's ultimately what, what, what is going to catch up with them. But when you're looking at, yeah, you're planning a playoff series as an opposing coach, You really want to face Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Basically, no, you don't. But, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of problems that Steve Nash is going to have to try to fix, and they're probably beyond his, you know, acumen because it starts at the defensive end. That team doesn't stop anybody.
0: No, and uh, if you're Brooklyn, all right, you're seven. Everybody was avoiding you. uh, Is
5: Boston a good matchup for them? Well, Boston, the interesting thing about Boston is that's going to be a very, very difficult matchup. It would be a lot worse if Robert Williams were playing for Boston. If Robert Williams were playing for Boston and he were healthy, that would be a that could be a six-game series, five to six games perhaps, because Boston has just played so well defensively. And I think they have enough scoring where they could deal with Durant and Irving. But without Robert Williams there, that is a big loss. Now, does it mean Brooklyn's going to win? No, I would still pick Boston, but I think it's going to be a lot more competitive without Robert Williams there as the last line of defense for the Celtics. Yeah, and uh, you look at the other two games. I mean,
0: Atlanta, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Uh, They started to play a little better down the stretch. They won 7 out of 10 to get to the 9 spot here. Is that a team to
5: either Atlanta or Charlotte worry you at all? No, especially Charlotte. Charlotte probably looking at a coaching change. That's the word going around if James Rego is going to be out. They're going to want to bring in a kind of a guy who could deal better with uh, LaMelo Balls, a little bit too too Hollywood for some of the people uh, uh, in Charlotte in terms of uh, the higher-ups there. Um, so we'll see what happens with that if that comes to fruition. And I'll tell you about Atlanta. There's a lot of smoke out there about if, the, if they stub their foot and they don't make the playoffs, don't get in and play in, or – Let's say they go down the first round and they don't put up a fight. They don't show you what they did last year. There could be major, major changes there, even maybe Nate McMillan being out. Maybe a shakeup involving John Collins being traded. His name is out there. That's something you have to watch because that team, you talk about overachieving this year, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and the way they played last year, beating Philly, beating New York, you know, taking Milwaukee to six games. Uh, they just totally underachieved. That's because everybody got paid. Everybody's fat and happy sitting around counting their money. And it starts with Trey Young. He's a guy, man, ball dominant, doesn't defend. And his leadership was really at a – you know, this year there's a lot to – uh, he he, had, he took a step back. We'll see what he does in the play-in, and if they make the playoffs, if they can pick it up. But uh, a lot of people aren't expecting that. All
0: right, Eastern Conference playoffs, of course, uh, they start this weekend. You get the play-ins tonight. Brooklyn, uh, I think uh, we all assume, is going to beat Cleveland. Atlanta, Charlotte would play Cleveland, uh, and one of those three teams would end up playing Miami in the first round. Um, let's look at Milwaukee and Chicago. Bulls really... You know, just fell out, ran out of gas down the stretch here, yeah. some injuries there. I would, I would almost anticipate a Milwaukee
5: sweep there. You agree? That's the team Milwaukee wanted to play. You talked about teams who wanted to avoid Brooklyn. A lot of teams wanted to get lined up against the Bulls in the first round. First of all, did you see their record against quality teams? They were awful, whether it was teams overall against the East. They only had one or two wins and, you know, 16, 18 losses, whatever it was. They didn't beat anybody any good. And they didn't stop anybody. They, you know, Lucevic is a nice player, but he certainly not doesn't give you rim protection. And they're banged up, too. I mean, it hurts them to have Lonzo Ball, who's not going to be there. Obviously, he's out for the year. And Zach Levine uh, is basically compromised. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got a knee issue. So it's going to be up to DeMar DeRozan to out-battle the defending champs. So, yeah, I think that's a quick 4-0 for Milwaukee. I'd be surprised. If Chicago got a game off, them.
0: and then obviously the 4-5, where everybody's in a panic here. Should the Sixers fans well, they should be. be in a panic? Why, Mitch Lawrence, yes. should the Sixers yes. fans well, be panicking?
5: Well, several reasons. I mean, look, I, I think they've got the MVP and Joel Embiid. If I had a vote, I would have voted for Joel over Jokic, although it would have been very, very close. But listen, James Harden, his physical decline has been noticed league-wide, lack of explosion doesn't nearly do what he could, you know, and and it's because, listen, a lot of usage, a lot of tread is off that tire. He has a history in the playoffs of coming up small, coming up short, meltdowns, so you have that factor. You got Tybaugh who's not, you know, ridiculously so selfish. These guys who don't get vaccinated, they got no use for him, guys like him and Kyrie, sorry, but now it's going to cost his team. He can't play road games in Toronto. That's a major loss. And then you've got Doc Rivers who had a rough, really rough playoff series last year against Atlanta. We all talk about the Ben Simmons, everything that was going on with him. How about the fact they blew those two two leads of, what, 18 and 25 points where your head coach has to do something there to staunch the bleeding, to turn things around, to change the momentum. And Doc, although he was voted a top 15 coach of all time, a lot of people around the league are saying, you know what, in this series we're taking Nick Nurse over Doc and Toronto. You know, look at their team. They've got guys, young, athletic, long guys who can deal with Harden. You know, Embiid, if I were them, and talking to people, this is what a lot of people think. Hey, just double cover Embiid, make it tough for him. Yeah, he'll go to the free throw line, but have other people on the Sixers beat you because, you know, Harden will have a trouble against the, their long athletic guys, and does Philly have enough shooting? So there are a bunch of factors there that, yeah, if I'm to Philadelphia right now, I'd be nervous about this first-round matchup.
0: Yeah, uh, and this is the kind of matchup... <laughs> What would it be like in Philadelphia if they lost a first-round series after the trade and all well,
5: that's going on here? Well, well, it would probably be a coaching change. And Doc's already probably got a landing place with the Lakers. If he wants it, probably, I would assume. We all know that Daryl Morey is kind of a guy who is looking, you know, hey, he came in after Doc, post-Doc, so we all know he's fixated on Mike D'Antoni in case things go south. Um, I wouldn't think Harden would leave. I think Harden would stay long-term. But if you look at just from the standpoint, it's fascinating. Everybody in different NBA cities has pressure on them to produce in the playoffs, right? But how about in Philadelphia, where there's pressure on obviously Daryl Moore because of the Harden trade? There's pressure on Harden because of his playoff failures and pressure on Doc because of what happened last year in the playoffs against Atlanta. Uh, that's a, you know, that's rare that you have all those types of people, main, you know, frontline star people, you know, big names who are under the gun in this first round. So I think there'd be a tremendous amount of fallout if they didn't get past Toronto in this first round, and it would probably cost Doc his job. And uh, there would have to be other changes too, but that would be the big one.
0: Crazy. Um, Is Embiid enough to get them? I mean, it might be a, a bloody knuckle fight here, bare knuckle fight, but is he enough to get
5: them out of this first round? Could be. I mean, he has had, as you know, I mean, he's just had a sensational year. I, I, I love the fact that he made it all about, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to operate as he had to do before they made the hardened trade uh, with this whole Ben Simmons thing. And he still got them into a situation where they were competing for the top. All right, they, they finished fourth. They had a much better record. When you look at the Jokic, and I know Jokic is working with even less than a beat, but in terms of the statistic, you know, everybody's bringing up Jokic has done, you know, historically great things and Embiid himself has done things that haven't been seen in years. How about the fact that against winning teams, Denver was 20-26 and 26 and the Sixers were 26-24? and 24? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big gap right there. Now, the Jokic people are going to defend him by saying he didn't play, you know, he didn't have enough guys to play with, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., et cetera. But I think in this series, you know, I just don't know, unless Nick Nurse wants to deal with Joel Embiid one-on-one, why wouldn't you basically force other guys to beat you, you know, and Bede's gonna get to the line. Does he have enough? Yeah, he's still a monster out there and they're gonna have a hard time matching up with him. But the fact that James Harden, the pressure would all be on James Harden if they basically tried to take, you know, just double cover and be with extra extra people, how is Harden going to respond to that? It's gonna be fascinating. I would think if Joel Embiid, bead like the player I'm looking at and the way he's played this year yeah, I think he could. Like you're right, it would be a kind of a fist fight for him to get out of the first round. If you know, even a worse situation going forward. But I, it's not impossible that they'd win this series, uh, Mark. You know, you can't say that.
0: And Mitch, you know, you've been covering the league a long time. Mitch Lawrence, Sirius XM NBA Radio at Mitch underscore Lawrence. How many teams make a trade of that
5: magnitude in season and end up winning a championship? Well, that's a good point. I mean, listen, that trade, you know, at least Philadelphia's got their guy on the court. Now, there's talk that Ben Simmons might play 15 minutes in the playoffs. I mean, that's going to be unbelievable. If the Nets bring him basically out of mothballs, the guy's been in there since June, right? He hasn't played since June. He's had this whole back situation. He's got the mental health crisis going on. I don't know where he is on that. I guess he's okay now. Hmm. But you got to remember, too, are are the Nets really, can they afford to play him in big spots in the playoffs where, He's going to have the ball in his hands, and people are going to dare him to shoot, or people are going to foul him on purpose to put him on the free throw line, where he was just awful against the Hawks last year when he missed thirty or forty-five free throws. But getting to your point, first of all, there aren't a lot of blockbuster trades like the one we saw between these two teams, especially the guy, you know, teams that are ninety miles apart, whatever, in the same division. And you know, there are a lot of times where no, if you make a big trade, that doesn't guarantee you. That you're gonna, you know, get to the even get to the finals, and just think about the competition in the East. I mean, the Bucks are still my favorite. I've picked them all along to repeat to get at least back to the finals against Phoenix. You got a Miami team that, although a little undersized, still presents a lot of problems for teams defensively. They got a lot of guys with playoff experience. They got a lot of grit. Um, They're going to be a tough out. Um, You got Boston. And if they had Robert Robert Williams, they'd be in better shape. And if they get out of the first round against Brooklyn, they will get Robert Williams back. you have got Brooklyn in case they catch fire somehow. I still think their defense is going to catch up with them. Even the Philadelphia making this deal for Harden uh, doesn't guarantee him anything, as we know. And, you know, it goes back to this. This James Harden is not the James Harden we've seen in the past. He is a cut below. He's a step down. He's not the same player. And it looks like they might have given up a little bit too much for him. Mitch Lawrence, uh, let's go out west real quick. Do you like Phoenix or the field? I like Phoenix. I think Phoenix is going to be too tough for anybody, especially if Golden State is compromised because Steph Curry is not 100%. I like Memphis. Don't get me wrong. I think Taylor Jenkins should be coach of the year because when you go 20-3 and without John Morant, you're doing something right. And I know Monty Williams is probably going to get it, but I he think that's just it, amazing coaching
0: he, he did get it, Monty. He just got
5: announced. He just got it. So, okay, that's fine. I'm sure Taylor got a lot of votes. But here's the deal. If Steph Curry were 100% and basically wrecking defenses by himself with Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and the young guys that they have, I would think Phoenix would get a test from Golden State. Really nobody else. Yeah, Nobody else out West. But – If they are not going to have Steph Curry at near 100%, if he's going to be limited, no. Phoenix is still, I think, way above Golden State at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, and that Dallas series, you know, we'll see what happens with Luka, right? Well, yeah.
5: Oh, oh my God. Luka, first of all, Luka would have to be probably 120% for them to win series. I mean, Utah's been a mess this year. There's problems going on. We know that franchise could have a coaching change. It could have... Who knows, trades, Danny Ainge, a new fresh set of eyes out there running things. But if Luka is limited, if he's compromised because of this calf, if right. he can't play, where's Dallas going? I mean, Dallas, <laughs> it's been a great story with Jason Kidd. They've got a lot of good players, but they don't have any other stars.
0: Any anticipation
5: that Kawhi Leonard plays? None. None. Talking to people, I don't think you're going to see him back. The big addition for them is they get Norman Powell. And if you look at their team, there are a lot of people who say, all right, it's Paul George, Norman Norman Powell, and Reggie Jackson. they got a lot of playoff moxie. They've got a lot of guys who've been around. And Ty Lue has done a great job there coaching. That's why I think Minnesota's in trouble tonight. I think the Clippers get out of that, and they play Memphis, and that will be a tough series for Memphis at Uh,
0: 2-7. Talking with uh, Mitch Lawrence from XM NBA Radio, Um, what happened? Okay. What is happening with the Lakers before our
5: very eyes here? Badly constructed roster. Not Frank Vogel's fault. And I'm not saying it as a shout-out to the guy from Cape May, right? But listen, Frank Vogel's a good coach. He had a good team a couple of years ago. He had guys who could defend on the perimeter, like Caruso, like Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. You know, he had other guys like Kuzma. That trade they made for Russell Westbrook was a disaster from the get-go. Who thought that would work, Mike? When, you have, when Russell Westbrook at this stage still looks at himself as an elite player, he's a top 75 player, he needs the ball in his hands, he needs to do what he wants to do, and you have LeBron James there. And you have injuries. The usual with Anthony Davis, who's brittle. He can't stay healthy. He's unreliable. LeBron, at his age, with so many years in the league, he breaks down now all the time. That's what happened to the Lakers, in addition to having a lot of bad supporting cast, and it cost Frank Fogle his job, and now... They are in a real mess because there's no easy fix here. Right. Who wants there are to a coach lot of tough questions, including coaching, who they can get, they don't pay great out there, and how you're going to reconstruct that roster. Right. Who, who wants to coach that?
0: By the way, Monty Williams has been – this is the second year in a row he's won this award, by the way, and he was uh, Brett Brown's guy. He was uh, the, 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 the assistant here in Philadelphia. Now he's a back-to-back guy, but we're talking about coaching. Who wants to coach the Lakers?
5: Who wants that mess? Well, yeah, you're right. You're right now. You know, there, there's also a school of thought that they do get coaches. But, you know, here's the problem. Their last coaching search, they lowballed Ty Lue, who was LeBron's choice. And we've seen the job that Ty Lue has done. Anybody who thinks that, LeBron, that Ty Lue was just riding LeBron's coattails in Cleveland, they have found out, especially this year, what he did for the majority season without Paul George, without Kawhi Leonard. He's done a hell of a job. He's a very, very good coach. Okay. And they lowballed him, and they had a chance to get Monty Williams. They didn't hire either, mm. and so Frank Vogel got the job. as a, I looked at him as a caretaker from the start, and that was kind of proven to be right. When he won the title, they gave him a kind of a one-year extension. Yep. Most guys who win a the title, they get three or four years tacked on, not the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you raise a very good point. Who wants to coach that mess? Somebody will, but it doesn't mean they're coming in for top dollar, and it doesn't mean they've got any kind of a chance to win the championship.
0: Uh, Mitch Lawrence is with us here talking a little NBA playoff. The play-in tonight, tomorrow, Friday, and then the NBA playoffs. These are not playoff games. The playoffs begin on Saturday. The Sixers play at 6 against the Raptors, and you can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Mitch, we will uh, catch up for the playoffs, pal. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Mike. Take Uh, care. Mitch Lawrence, listen to him on SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Follow him on Twitter, at Mitch underscore Lawrence. We'll talk more Sixers and the matchups in this later on tonight with Michael kasky Blomain from CBS Sports and of course we'll do another opportunity for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip and that's coming up at 3.55 today here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gillen, and I've been telling you about my friends over at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions Dr. Paul Lewis. It's the premier clinic for allergy elimination in our area. Many of us many people i know out there struggle with allergies Perfect. runny nose itchy eyes consistent sneezing dog hair cat hair maybe you have a food allergy maybe you have lyme's disease fertility issues autoimmune disorders adult childhood add adhd you have a learning disability insomnia headaches all sorts of pain Dr. Paul Lewis can help with that. I'd give him a call and ask any questions. He is very nice, very willing to help. That's the big thing. He wants to help people. You have allergy problems, I want to help you get rid of those. He did it for me. I no longer struggle with allergies, and it is amazing. 856 285 4788. If you've been thinking about it, make the call. Why not just ask a couple questions? Hey, I'm allergic to red meat. Can you help me? I'm allergic to shellfish. Can you help me? I can't eat seafood. Can you help me? Hey, certain dust. That's what got me the dust particles. I had horrible issues with dust. And no longer do I have those issues. And I thank Dr. Paul every day. Make the call 856 285 4788. South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. Mike Gill? Josh Ennings, my producer, will do headlines in just a little bit. Also, later on, we got Football at Four with Adam Kaplan today. Hopefully, you'll stick around. I got some more Sixers thoughts, Phillies on the way as well. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
3: Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. 328
0: Sports Bash, Mike Gill. At Mike Gill Show on Twitter. 609 403 Text board. Tim Legler this morning on KJM. You know, we had Tim on yesterday. And he said there's a ton of pressure On the Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't see a team. I'm trying to find a matchup that might have more pressure than the Sixers. Why do they have the most? Tim Legler.
5: James Harden, he's squarely under the microscope. And then Doc Rivers with so many issues he had with the Clippers. And then Daryl Morey waited two-thirds of a year to make this trade. And he said, this is the guy that's going to put us over the top. I'm banking on it. Well, here it is. And James Harden coming in could not be playing much worse. All
0: right, that was Tim Legler this morning on KJM. Why are the Sixers, why did they have the most pressure? He's right. They made this trade. People wanted them to make a trade all season long. Just move on from Simmons just to move on. I'm not criticizing getting Harden, but what I'm saying is, He almost shut down all other opportunities to only get Harden. Would they have been better off getting a Halliburton and a Buddy Heald? I don't know. Would they have been better off getting different players instead of James Harden? I think on the surface you say, no, James Harden's the best player they could get. But it feels like they almost shut down all other avenues. Mitch Lawrence is SiriusXM NBA Radio. His partner is Frank Ayasola. He also says the pressure is on the Sixers. You think about pressure
5: going into the playoffs, for a team that right now is a four seed, there's a lot of pressure on Doc Rivers, James Harden, Joel Embiid. I mean, James Harden wanted to go to Philadelphia, and if you look at his numbers the last, you know, maybe five or six games, he's not shooting the ball well. Toronto, they should be able to beat Toronto, but Toronto is a well-coached team that that was terrific this season. So, yes, there's pressure on a lot of teams going into the playoffs, including the Brooklyn Nets, but Philadelphia's got a ton of pressure on them.
0: Philadelphia has a ton of pressure on them. It's a 4-5 game. What happened last year, guys, in the 4-5 game? You remember. The Atlanta Hawks won the series over the fourth seeded New York Knicks. The fourth seed last year could not beat the five. And I'm not saying it's the same situation here But I think both of those guys are right. I think both of those guys are right in that the Sixers have more pressure on them, certainly, than the Toronto Raptors do. Heck, nobody knows the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors were in the play-in round about a week ago, two weeks ago, and somehow moved their way up from being in the play-in round all the way up to number five to now people are highly concerned about the possibility of them beating the Sixers. Tim Legler said this this morning on KJM.
5: We did some talk radio yesterday in Philadelphia, and it's funny because you, could tell, you can hear the nervousness in their voices even though they're trying to portray this front of confidence. Ah, not worried about the Raptors. I'm like, okay, okay. you should be. I-, I think that is a coin flip series. I'm not going to be surprised either way it goes. And it, to me, it's all going to come down to if James Harden does not play better than he has been playing for the last two weeks, they are going home.
0: That point right there, and by the way, all right, so he said he did radio yesterday. That necessarily saying... He could have done radio somewhere else. I mean, maybe. I have no idea. But I don't think I portrayed at any point that, "Ah, I'm not afraid of the Raptors. I think the Raptors were the worst matchup you could get possibly in this situation. I talked about it yesterday. The fact that they just keep throwing wings at you. The athletic wings that the Raptors have are a big problem for Philadelphia. They're a small team. We talked about yesterday. They don't have anybody over seven foot on the team. They start a 6'9 center. They have a backup center who's 6'8". Everything they do is small and athletic. The Sixers are the exact opposite of small and athletic. They are unathletic and have the biggest playmaker or the biggest of big guys in the league. This is an awful matchup for them. But what, what what Legler said at the end is what he said on our show yesterday. All of the other stuff is out the window. All of the other stuff if James Harden isn't James Harden, you don't have a shot, not only in this series, but period. You made the trade to get James Harden. He has to be James Harden. You can't have some half ash version of James Harden. Can't get the Ollie's version of James Harden. No, I don't want that guy. I can't get that version of James Harden. I need the Lord and Taylor version of James Harden. And I'm not getting him so far. So far, I'm not getting the very best version of James Harden. And Legler's right. If I don't get the very best version of James Harden, it doesn't matter who the backup center is, it doesn't matter if Thibault plays, it doesn't matter what the matchups are. I need him to be able to be the guy. I need him to be able to be the best player on the court. Not all the time, but at times. He has to be the best player on the court at times. And it has to be those big times. Can't be, you know, with eight minutes left in the second. It needs to be with eight minutes left in the game. And my biggest problem with Harden over the years is, I don't know that he is the best player with eight minutes left in the game. I'm not sure he is the best player with four minutes left in the game. I'm not sure he is the best player with two minutes left in the game. Yeah, he's the best player with eight minutes left in the second, 10 minutes left in the third. But too many times for my liking, James Harden hasn't been the best player when I need him the most. Yeah, I've seen him. 2019, he averaged 35 points a game in the Golden State Series. They lost that series. I've seen them score 33 points a game in 2017 against Oklahoma City. But that was a first-round series. I need that to be in a bigger series. I need that to be in the second round to get me out, to move me to the finals. I need that to be in the finals to get me out. He averaged, you know, 26 points a game. 26 points a game 28 points a game 25 28 last year in the playoffs with Brooklyn I get it he was hurt in that series against Milwaukee he averaged 10 points a game that's not gonna get it done and guess what they lost they had Kevin Durant they lost Kyrie they had James Harden James Harden wasn't James Harden and they lost So there's a lot going into this series, but I think Tim Legler, look, we oversimplify. We make it too tough sports sometimes. I'm a big proponent of we overthink sports. We went and made it this analytical mess. Sports are sports. We made it this analytical math problem. Nobody likes math. You know who likes math? People we don't like. And we allowed math people... To complicate sports, sports shouldn't be so complicated. Tim Legler's answer is the non-complicated answer. It is if James Harden isn't James Harden, say la vie. And he's right. It's not well. You know, you're not. You're missing 2.8 steals per game because his you know wingspan is this. No, Montez Steibel, yes, ha- not having them is going to be a problem. But in the end, James Harden being James Harden can overcome that problem. They don't have anyone close to being Joel Embiid. Do they? Not even close. And when you have the best player, you should win. I don't want, you know, they have the best coach, their coach is better. Yeah, oh, that's great. When you have the best player, you should win. And the Sixers have the best player. They haven't always had the best player. We have thought they've had the best player in past series. But now they do have the best player. So if they don't get out of this first round, it's an utter embarrassment and a disappointment. 609-403. 0973. You heard what Tim Legler said. I want to hear from you. Hit me up on the text board 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. That's where you can get your voice heard. Your reactions, I'll read them off next segment right here on the Sports Bash Live on 973 ESPN. Let me know. What concerns you the most about the Toronto Raptors? Are you concerned at all? You know, there are some people that I know, ah, they're not going to lose to the Raptors. Okay. If you're asking me to pick it right now, it's Tuesday. I think the Sixers should win this series in six. They should win the series in six. Now, will they? We'll discuss. 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. That's the text board. Text me your thoughts, your reaction, your concerns. Are you not concerned? By the way, Gilbert Gottfried died. Random, right? All right, uh, got that coming up, Sports Bash. I want to read off your text messages. I want to get the pulse of the people out there. What concerns you about this series? What are you worried about? What aren't you worried about? What bothers you? Do you think this is a cakewalk? You're playing the Toronto Raptors. This is a team that is, I don't want to say devoid of stars, but let's be honest. They don't have Joel Embiid. They don't have James Harden. But that James Harden story, that's a story. Back with more of that here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
7: Now.
3: Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.
0: Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. By the way, Josh, um, so I'm watching Blacklist. You told me there's an episode called Kate May. Yes, season three, I think. It's the worst episode of the entire thing so far.
1: Oh, come on. You don't agree? It's an important episode.
0: It's an important episode, I guess I'll fi- figure that out. But I will say, by the way, I looked this up on different rankings of blacklist episodes. It's the second worst ranked as the second. I said this has to be the worst episode. <laughs> like I get, there might be some important things to find out from it, but I'm watching it like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what am I
1: watching? He, well, I think it's... I didn't very, even
0: get to the end yet. I'm we not the we, end yet? We turned it off because it was so bad. <laughs>
1: Okay, I will. I won't say anything. There's yet.
0: 11 minutes left in the episode. <laughs> My girlfriend said, "All right, I've had enough."
1: It was <laughs> 11 minutes. Report. It bro. was like
0: I get it. There is a very intense like situation because the show. There's a lot of like him and and Liz and the whole cast. They're always like yeah. involved. This episode is just him, and I'm imagining that's her mother.
1: Yes, okay. I'll give it away. Yeah. Yes, well, I figured that out myself. Well, the, the one, well, I, one I, they, there,
0: was a, there was a reference like three or four episodes ago yeah. where he's like, your mother went into the beach in Cape May. She took off all her clothes and disappeared into the ocean. Correct. Right. I got that reference. So I'm imagining he went to Cape May. He, he tells the guy, hey, how much to take me to Cape May? And he's like, dude, that's 200 miles from here. And he gives him like, I don't know, $1,000. <laughs> right. He's driving to Cape a lot May. Of money. Right? Then he's like, well, how much for the cab? He, he, what, what's he
1: hand him? I forgot what he thirty thousand
0: dollars.
1: He just had this like wad in his hand, like a like a rolled up like wad of bills. And just, no, like,
0: he he brought out, like a brick and just kept putting oh, them out of right, the right. car. And the ta- the capsy He guy's pulls like, out of the suitcase. Yeah, and he's like, okay, that's enough. Like, I'll I'll take what you're giving me. So you know, you're like, all right. So I'm thinking he's going to be like chasching around Cape May. You're gonna he's going to be at the boiler room. He's going to be over at Congress Hall. I didn't you promise you Maybe he's you at all the of rusty that. nail. No. <laughs> He's at some deserted place. I don't even know where the heck he is. He might as well be in West Cape May. <laughs> and the episode, I mean, is dark and dreary. I mean, it's just yeah. him and her just having a conversation together. Pretty much. Very good acting between the two of them. It was like very, like, intense back and forth. I'm out on that episode so far.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the rest of the show is good, at least you'll admit, right? Here's another thing from last night. By the way, uh, after that episode, get ready. Oh. that I'm not going to give it away. But in the next two episodes after that episode, stuff hits the fan.
0: Okay. More than, uh, you know, giving birth in the middle of a nightclub. <laughs> uh, the let- one character, that guy, Solomon... He is the most unlikable guy in the history of all shows.
1: He he has to be a very hateable. He's a hate the face. He is Broads a complete hate the face. Total <laughs> hate the face. You're stuck with him for a little while longer. Than oh that. man! Um, he does get killed. I think it's in season four. Well, by thanks somebody. for giving that up.
0: I don't want to give anything away. Well, he gets killed.
1: Well, I thought maybe like to know that he's going to die eventually.
0: Well, I. I don't want to know. I want to know that he is going to be a pain in the ass the whole time, and now you're telling me he's going to die.
1: He's going to be around for a while, and then at one point he's gone.
0: Okay, well, I'm still not convinced that uh, Elizabeth is dead, even though they put her in a body bag. Don't give anything away here, all right? Don't give anything away. Here, all, right? Anything away. all right. Uh, my other observation from last night goes back to the Bohm thing. Cause I just watched this again. So there's a ground ball hit the third, he feels it, he throws the first, and this is where it all starts. How the mindset of the entire stadium, all in unison, come together to cheer him for making the play. And why that mindset doesn't happen in any other situation, in any other fan base. Do you know what I'm saying? The guy hits a ground ball to third. It's an easy play. He feels it. He throws it. It's an easy pitch and catch. And when he makes this routine play, Mm -hmm. everybody decides this is the time. We all want to cheer him. And at this point, he's like, you condescending SOBs. I hate this place. But the point I'm making is, first off, that thought would never go through my head. Oh, let me cheer for this guy for making this routine play. But, like, there are so many people out there. It's almost like last year or, for instance, when Ben Simmons would make a three and the whole place would go bonkers at the same time.
1: I was going back to Markel Fultz.
0: Markel Fultz, same thing. Or when Ben Simmons was at the foul line and everybody was cheering for him to make the foul shot. We know famously that guy who was like, come on, man, just here's the stroke. This is all you need to do. Yep. Why is it that this fan base... Does it's like, like the that. only one that does this kind of nonsense.
1: Is it that they're maybe more invested in a lot of other fan bases? I guess that so, but it's just it? so
0: weird to psychoanalyze the mindset of the way that the mind... Like, listen, this is last night. Um, I don't know who called this game last night, but this. take a listen to the broadcasters. Here we go. Out of it.
8: See how teams use it going forward. Marte golfs one back to ball, and let's see how this one goes. This one a much cleaner throw, and he'll retire Marte. McCann stays at second base, and there are two down.
5: And a Bronx cheer.
8: Yeah.
0: Uh, so you get the Bronx Sounds like the cheer, Mets broadcast. I guess. All right. So it, it says FS1. Was there like a national broadcast last night of that game? Not that I know of. So anyway, ground ball to third. He goes, let's see how this one goes. He makes the play. And he throws it over. And, and then, of course, they cheer him. He says, Whoa, it sounds like a Bronx cheer, which is basically like a mocking cheer here. And then it's when Bohm says, I bleep and hate this place. Uh, like, the thought in my mind is like, everybody there all decided, Let's cheer. Let's, like, give this guy a Bronx cheer. It's not like somebody. You know, it's not like a memo that's up on the video board, like, (laughs) let's get loud. Like, hey, everybody, let's Bronx cheer this guy.
1: This isn't like a a sitcom audience are being told by the (laughs) applause, laugh.
0: Exactly. Oh, man. It just, I don't know. I I find that to be another interesting layer of the story is that everybody in unison had the same thought of, (laughs) <laughs> Let's clown this guy for making the play for God's sake.
1: It is a very strange dynamic, and I I have to ask Mike. You know, is it possible that this is just part of who the city is? You know, is it just this is there part of the personality of the city that the city is just so unafraid at this point to express themselves?
0: I know I, that's obvious. My question is, or the the observation is. That doesn't happen in Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Cleveland no. or Cincinnati. Like, they don't Bronx cheer you for making the routine play at third base after you've made, you know, two just absolutely circus plays.
1: But I also don't think that they are as over the top as they are here. You know, you go to, like you mentioned, a Kansas City, for example. They're very passionate. They're very loud for football games. But you go you watch a Royals game. They're kind of like, eh, whatever. I feel like this city, they're passionate about everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's great. And, it, again, I go back to the beginning of today's show where I said I hope that it's an aha moment for Boehm. I would have liked Girardi to play him today. Now, I understand they're going with a left-handed heavy lineup today. Bohm hits right-handed. Mm-hmm. But I would have liked to have seen Bohm right back out there. Heck, maybe even... Um, uh, maybe not play him at first base. I don't know that that experiment is going to happen anymore. I don't know that they're going to use him out of position. <laughs> you know, he's bad enough where he currently is. They don't need to, to, to confuse him anymore by playing him someplace else.
1: Right. But there's still a possibility that, you know, you've got to get him back in the lineup at some point. You can't just let him sit on this game and stoop for too long. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, all right, let me read off some of these texts, Matt. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a little out. We got a lot of text messages from uh, before the break. Can you rapid-fire them? Uh, uh, no, these are all pretty long. So a lot of well-thought ones, um, thought-out ones here. Here's one from Matt in Delaware. I'll try this one real fast. Hey, Mike, I know you always say the players play and the coaches in the NBA don't do much, but Doc has to draw up some plays for Maxie to cut to the basket and Tobias to get some good looks. That can give Embiid some open looks, and they will tend to double Embiid anyway. So if you can put pressure on them with maybe a Tobias driving or getting the mid-range, it can give Embiid and, and Harden some better looks. And Harden should be limited to three step-back threes a game in the playoffs. Well, that's not going to happen. You're not going to say, hey, you only get to shoot three step-back threes. After that, you're done. What if he hits all three of them? And then do you say you're already capped out, or do you raise the cap? That's you, ma- you
1: maxed out your step-backs.
0: Two. Here's the problem. Yes, the players play, the coaches, in the NBA do much. I said today on Twitter, to me it's about 75-25. All right? The players to me get 75% of my blame. The coach will get about 25% of my blame. The, most of the coaching blame that I give comes with rotation, not playing the right guys in the right time. Now, some of the things that you brought up, creating plays. The NBA coaches just don't call plays a lot. It's just not – people act like it's a high school basketball game where the coach is literally standing at half court with his tie off, calling out plays. Like, that's just not an NBA game.
1: I feel like you just described Paul Rodeo.
0: Well, I mean, for the most part, yeah. I mean, it's just – that's not what the NBA is. But, like, especially, like, in areas like where we are, where high school basketball, college basketball in the city of Philadelphia, college coaches are much more involved – in every single play than they are in the NBA. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Football at four is on the way. Speaking of football. Ah! Caller 7, 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller 7. You are qualified to pick your Eagles road trip which includes airfare, hotel stay, and a pregame tailgate party, plus two tickets to the Eagles' road game of your choice in 2022. 609-573-3776. Caller number seven right now. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest & Son's Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller number seven, 609-573-3776. Caller seven, you are qualified for Pick Your Trip. We'll see you at Slack Tide Brewing Company in Cape... 97.3
3: ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have
1: real
7: confidence
3: that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four.
0: Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by PropSwap, America's sports betting marketplace. Sell your sports bets, take your profit, find out how. Go to PropSwap.com, download the PropSwap app today. Congratulations, Charles in Vinelin. He is our latest qualifier for Pick Your Trip. Charles has a chance to win an Eagles road trip where he gets to pick the Eagles road game of his choice. We'll pay for the airfare, hotel, the pregame tailgate party, and supply two tickets to the Eagles road game of one lucky listener's choice. It's all live April 28th, the day of the first round of the NFL draft, live at Slack Tide Brewing Company, and it's thanks to phillysportstrips.com and Ernest & Sons' old-fashioned butcher shop in brigantine all right the nfl draft 16 days away adam kaplan we're getting closer and uh the eagles i guess are closer to making some narrowing down some decisions here they're probably uh you know going through this list of uh meetings and uh individual interviews and i guess they're probably getting a better feel of what they think about these prospects
8: yeah mike actually the way it works is yeah you're you're on it the pre-draft visit's and next Wednesday, they have to end, or next Thursday. It, it's a week before the draft is the rule. And then the crazy thing is, you're allowed to work up players up to the day before the draft. So, yeah, you're right. This is this is the busy season. Uh, all the pro days wrap up around the country this week. And we'll get to uh, someone who will sign off of a pro day workout uh, in a minute. But, yeah, that's that's what's going on. And they, had, uh, they actually had some big-time players in on Monday morning. Guys who flew on Sunday and met with the team on Monday morning. Uh, so, yeah, it's big. Yeah, you're, you're you're right. There's a lot going on.
0: Now, what are fans, Adam, supposed to make of some of these visits? Guys like Sauce Gardner, who is a, yeah. you know, top ten uh, thought to be picked. Matt Corral, a quarterback. George Pickens, a wide receiver. Um, what do fans, how are they supposed to
8: read into the people that the Eagles select to, to meet with? <laughs> Let me give you a general answer for all 30, all 32 teams. You have 30 visits. They're called uh, these pre-draft visits, your top 30 visits. You bring them in for a specific purpose. It is absolutely positively not an indication they're going to draft the player, but they want more information. Sometimes it's medical. Let's, For instance, they had George Pickenson uh, from Georgia. Pickenson in, was in, I think, Monday morning. He had an ACL injury in November of 2020. He is a tremendous football player. Had he not had the ACL injury, uh, as Greg Cosell from NFL Films told me, he might have been his top receiver for this draft. That's how gifted he is. And the Eagles, as we all know, they need receivers in the worst way. They need not one. They need two by the start of training camp. They need competition. They need explosiveness. They need talent. They're, they're still a bottom feeder uh, other than Devontae Smith. They're the bottom feeder team and receiver. They're just not good enough. We all know that. This is not a secret. So George Pickens, who's very gifted, who's got great size, just under six foot three. By the way, he did come back for the final five games of Georgia's season. And also, I know you followed college football. Georgia, as one personnel p- person told me, might have at least ten players drafted this year. Wow! Uh, it's they have a great club. Obviously, they're a great team this past season. They have a really good draft class.
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, Jamison Williams, he's another guy. You have a lot of guys, a lot of wide receivers coming off injury. The other Alabama receiver, uh, John uh, Mechie, the third,
8: right. Yeah. He's another guy who has
0: coming off an ACL tear.
8: By the way, yeah, with that, Mike, he tore his ACL around roughly a month In the game against Georgia. Now, I was told without the ACL injury, Mechie was going to be a second-round pick. Jamison Williams, top 10 and top 12 without the ACL injury. I still think he's got a shot to be. Drafted before the end of the first round. Why, as I understand, isolated ACL. A, B, If The way it works with a drafting player from ma- who who are coming off a major injury, particularly ACL or an Achilles. If that general manager is very secure in his job, like a Howie Roseman, just yeah. signed a recent extension. <laughs> you you don't ha- you don't worry about drafting a player. I know people bring up um, uh, the corner from Washington. Uh, in 2017, uh, second Jones. round, of careers. I'm sorry. Sidney Jones. Yeah, Sidney Jones, thank you. Uh, that one was a little different. That was less about the injury, was more about competitiveness and why he didn't make it. It actually had very little to do with the injury. It was um, just just the lack of, of his will to be great. They didn't know this pre-draft. Good kid off the field, but on the field, he should have been better. He was fine uh, the second year. He physically was fine, but... He just never got to where they needed him from a mental standpoint on the field and competitiveness. And he's moved on. But you know what? He's kind of revived his career with Seattle. It was with Jacksonville. Uh, the, but when you look at you're right, Mike. A lot of receivers have injuries. And another little fact, when we did this, uh, dr- uh, the next uh, inside the, the draft Intel with Cosell, with Greg Cosell, with Mosher and I, drops tomorrow. This one is incredible. We did corner and safety. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. We did D-end and D-tackle. We did corner and safety last week. One of the things that Greg, Greg and I talked about, it was very obvious. Easily a dozen corners who are going to be drafted within the first three rounds were former wide receivers in college. I've never seen so many cornerbacks over six feet in my career. 19 years covering this business. Wow. Never seen anything like it. That's pretty uh,
0: good intel there. And you can check that out on the Inside the Birds platform. While we're talking receivers, let's stick with receivers. And Jalen Rager, I know people saw uh, some reporting that Rager could be drawing some trade interest and uh, people would be thrilled probably to move on from him. But uh, what do we know about the potential of a Jalen Rager
8: uh, having interest? Yeah, so you could read this piece. It's really funny. So Mosher, Jeff wrote a piece midweek last week, and he just put one line about the Eagles who have gotten calls about them. Nobody – there's been no blo- – there was no – blog, you know, because we get a lot of – we appreciate it, although they're not always blogged correctly. But nevertheless, we appreciate the interest from the news aggregators and bloggers, which I was once a proud blogger <laughs> in the early 2000s. But anyway, so no one picked up on it. And then all of a sudden, like wildfire, I guess these people wanted to wait till Monday – and Jeff's has Jeff's, been quoted everywhere. And to the point where, you know, he's been doing a bunch of interviews on it. And there's really, it's really not a big deal. Like, I get what Jeff was talking about. I asked him, I said, what what, what was your, what's your intel? What are you seeing on this? Jeff's understanding is from talking to teams around the league that um, teams are curious. Because what happens is every NFL team, all, all 31 teams other than the Eagles, know that Rager's been underachieving and we've seen some top receivers being traded so every team just to explain to you what happens this time of year all 32 teams have trade calls all, they all call hey if we're on the clock and we don't get our guy we're looking to move out for instance i'll give you an example the panthers and eagles had several talks before the draft last year uh we reported uh, and the the, uh, the um The Bears called the Eagles uh, several times because they wanted they wanted they wound up making the trade. I think with the Giants to because they wanted Fields. So this is what happens. And also in the course of conversation, hey, hey, Rager hasn't done well. What are you guys doing with him? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's really not a big deal. But uh, and the agent is uh, he's got a really good agent, Jeff Nally, who's uh, pretty aggressive and knows the league really well. Is very well connected. I'm sure he would be checking in to see. With the Eagles' permission, uh, if there's anything out there, but um, we're going to have more reporting Thursday morning. Uh, we've got some really good stuff coming on this, but just understand the Eagles will not be giving him away. They they, 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 I know that he doesn't really have a role right now. The head coach made it clear: Nick Quest Watkins is the two. We know what they try to do in free agency, which means they really only see Rager as their fourth receiver. Kind of hard to justify to keep this guy on the roster. Uh, Thinking like he's gonna contribute us to that. It's just not fair to him. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens at draft. Yeah, that'll definitely be something. I
0: mean, if they got a call and someone's I mean, I don't know, if someone said I'll give you a fifth, would they would that interest
8: them? Do you no. think do you think? No? No, definitely not. No. He's a former first round pick. They, they, look, they, they I'll give you an example. Last year in our reporting, um the Panthers were among three teams to really add interest in Dillard. The Eagles wouldn't even. I hate to say this. It's hard to. Tur- I don't know how to say this or term this, but they actually were not listening to trade offers. Uh, it was. I was surprised. They. They now. They called it right. They had injury in their offensive line. Um, you know, Milata was healthy. You know, at left tackle, and I would say he was great. But we remembered what happened with all the injuries they had. Their offensive line. Just the, the Eagles value more than probably any NFL team. Every NFL team loves to have depth in the offensive line. But the Eagles take to it a, a, a very good extreme. They just have a knack for understanding the offensive line, depth. And I give Andy Reid and Joe Banner credit for this and how he Roseman learned under them. You cannot have enough good offensive yeah. linemen, and that's just the way Eagles see it. Now, Dillard's
0: a guy that you think would have interest. Should the Eagles be interested in moving him
8: or not really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, to, he, if the Eagles were willing to move him, Yes. Um, here's the problem. See, you know what's funny? Someone asked me this, so this is a great question. I was surprised Dillard was not involved in the Saints trade because remember Teron Armstead, their former left their franchise tackle, signed with the Dolphins fifteen and a half million a year. They don't have a left tackle, the Saints on the roster. Yeah. I don't know why they may which it would tell me Mike they didn't want him. That that would be my read on it. I don't know that I don't know that for a fact, but think about that. If you're the Saints and you don't have a left tackle, and why wouldn't you want to get Andre Dillard include that trade last week? And you know that, that maybe that second doesn't go in uh, the, the the trade, but well, I would think happen.
0: that the Eagles, any phone call, they could get a question about they they've got good depth. Hey,
8: what are you going to do with Sayamalo this year? You're going to play Driscoll. You're going to play Sayamalo? Right, exactly. What are you going to well, do with They Irving? love Driscoll. Yeah, I, it's funny Isaac Samallo. He's on the finer of his deal. They, they have to figure out. He's a good player, but he's had a lot of injuries. I I don't know what they're going to do with him. It's um. They tender Brett, uh, Nate Herbig. He's back for a year. They they have de- look. They, they they value Jack Driscoll as a uh, swing tackle, right tackle, a guard. We know that Dickerson will be starting at left guard. Kelsey at, at center. They've got they've got a decision to make. They got to figure things out here. It's a, they've got a lot of moving parts. Mike, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. They absolutely do. Yeah, the offensive line. They've got you know
0: guys not starters that would start on most teams in this league, Dillard probably being one of them, we'll see what they do sure. with Sayamala. Does he play right guard? Does he go to left guard? Does Driscoll get the right guard spot? Do they battle it out? I mean, is there's a lot there, I think.
8: It is, yeah, in fact, the future, right, at, at, on their offensive line is Maelada for, for several years of left tackle, Dickerson at left guard. Now, that's the other question is, will he move to center? Uh, we were told, we were actually reported this a year ago, And we'll be the first to admit we thought he was drafted to take Kelsey's job. Not so fast. They have not made that decision. Their preference is to leave Dickerson at left guard. And whether it's, say, Malo moving from guard to center or drafting someone to play center, Jack Driscoll, outside shot. And also, they love this Jack Anderson, who they signed off of, uh, I believe, Buffalo's practice squad. They think they kind of hit gold with him. And I know, I can tell you, the Bills are super bleeped. They tried to keep him. They were not happy that Anderson uh, did not stay. They wanted him to wait a couple weeks. They were going to sign him off their practice squad, but they didn't, and he went to the Eagles. So you're right, Mike, Dave. And obviously, Lane Johnson's the right tackle until he retires. Then Jack Driscoll probably would be his replacement. Um, I know
0: you guys on the podcast, Adam Kaplan Inside the Birds podcast with me here, discussed the Tyron Matthew stuff. I, I think it was yeah. you, correct me if I'm wrong, that mentioned that they made a significant offer to Marcus Williams. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what yeah. Do, I mean, do you think, Adam Kaplan, that they would prefer a veteran safety and if they can get Matthew for their price, that that's their preference,
8: or would they rather finally draft and groom a guy? <laughs> You know, Mike, it's funny because, and the guy wasn't criticizing us. He said that uh, he goes, he goes. Well, he said that we we have a really we have a Facebook message board, you know, a Facebook group. And the guy, he wasn't criticizing us. He said, look, he goes, listen to that show. He can't tell what the best move for the Eagles would be because, then Rodney McLeod didn't come back. We're gonna, we'll, we'll, you know, I'll give you one nugget of the four that I have on it. It it just he's got a big injury history. He's he's clearly near the end of the line here. Great, great Eagle, way. What a signing in sixteen. Obviously they would not have everything that he let his leadership and just what a great signing was. Yeah. Um, but they chose Harris over him because Harris's experience with in the scheme. I asked Mosher this the other day. I was interested. Yeah. I was going to ask you the same thing. Why yeah. Harris over McLeod? It's clearly because of the the quarter, more familiarity with them, knows him. That's why, by the way, that's thousand percent why Harris signed there. That is the reason. Um, but, Yes, they need to get younger. That Cavon Wallace doesn't look like he's going to make it as a starter. In fact, I, I'll go out and say that, barring a something highly unforeseen, he won't be a starter for the Eagles. It's just not going to work. It's more of a box safety. Apps, Marcus Apps, who they claimed off waivers, a former six round pick. It's been a good story. I I don't know what. Mike, here's to my problem with this whole situation, being that they made a where our our understanding of the offer to Marcus Williams, it was almost the same exact offer that. The Ravens made he just chose to play with a in a scheme that he that he liked more. Um, just a, obviously, the Ravens have been unbelievable for defense for twenty-some odd years, so we get that. But so, so you the Eagles were clearly going to make they wanted to make a big splash at safety. Okay, Tyron Matthew is significantly older. He turns thirty next month, which means he's thirty in NFL years. A little nugget for you: the the way NFL uh, executives think of of players, it's whatever you turn opening day that's your age. So if you turn 30 in August, you're 30 right now. That's the way they look at you. They don't look at you at 30 then. They look at you at 30 now. Mm-hmm. So he does turn 30 next month, and that's what he is. Uh, it's I'd have to look this up. I don't know of any other team. I'm sure there might be one or two. Name another team that's starting two th- safeties at 30 years or older. That's just not a recipe for success. Yeah. And uh, Jeff's reporting. Jeff had a great nugget on our show that from his sources, chief sources, We know that they didn't offer him a contract. They just don't think he's the same player, Matthew. Yeah, Yeah. no. Could he? I think the word I got. Right, is he still the same playmaker? Is he the honey badger? Well, he's he's got two years left in him. That's it. Uh, He wants a multi. Here's the problem. He wants a multi-year deal, right? And I don't. My sense is the Eagles aren't going in that direction right now. They could change their mind. So and then uh, look, he he wants a significant contract. Tom Condon gets major contracts. I'd be shocked if the Eagles gave him more than 10 million years shot. Um, Kyle Hamilton, no
0: shot at 15, just to put that out no, there, right? No, know. The, the,
8: the, the, the internet, uh, Greg Cosell calls them the internet gurus. I kind of laugh. Um, the, folks, the 40 time is not a big, big deal for safety. It's just not. It's not the way teams look at it. It's the 10. It's 20 yards, 40. It's just not a big deal. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he dropped out of the top 10. Now. Not everybody loves Kyle Hamilton. He's a very good football player, the best safety for this draft. Uh, if you listen to our last show, Greg outlines a, a really good safety from a, another Big Ten school, which um, you should hear. What it's out Notre Dame and is the one conference, and uh, this other player is a different conference, but not too far away. Uh, there are other good safeties in the draft. They 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 don't need to do. I'd be shocked if they took a safety that's not I, wait. I believe, though, uh, you know, I've talked about, I've talked about, about this on the show last week. The Eagles try to be extremely aggressive in free agency. The Eagles have two first-round picks. Uh, they've got two next year. It will not shock me at all if they traded up. If the right player drops, we'll have those players for you and our, our future inside the bird shows. All right,
0: uh, 16 days to the draft, Adam Kaplan. Uh, tell us about Devin Allen and uh, any expectations uh, for this. Well, I- I'm always interested
8: why these kind of signings are made. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's Devin Allen or Devon Allen. I, I'm not sure in the pronunciation. But uh, what I, my understanding is he's a kickoff returner and receiver, wide receiver. He's not a punt returner, barring something that I'm not aware of. Um, unbelievable track star. Three-time national champion and then a 110, two-time Olympian. Here's what happened. A bunch of teams got excited. His pro day, you have to understand, he he's, hasn't played football in six years. Hasn't played. He has not been a factor in football in eight years since 2014. He... Had a great pro day. He showed that he's had ACL reconstruction on both knees. Show that he's healthy. Uh, he met, I was told, Thursday with the coaches in front of office, and he signed Friday. It's just a, just a, just, it's a dart. Joe Banner told us inside the birds last year. The Eagles in the rounds five through seven were dart throwing. You just take a shot on a corner or a linebacker. Check your linebacker because we know they don't have paid attention to at the linebacker. This is just a dart throw. The, the, the guy is explosive. They, you know how bad their return game was last season? Like, Jake Elliott was great. They fixed Jake Elliott as a kicker. Yeah. But they got to get the return game going. He's more, he's, I'd be shocked if he plays receiver. But because uh, I, again, they're going to afford, their plan is to fortify receiver, but they need to kick off returner in the worst way. All right, Adam Kaplan,
0: 16 days to the draft. We'll have plenty more storylines leading up to it, more visits, uh, and, of course, a lot of NFL news between now and then. Uh, A lot of – you know, I heard somebody say there's already been six first-round draft picks traded this year already. So who knows if draft night we won't won't see as much movement. And there's not a lot of quarterbacks to go
8: up for. Well, I talked to a team in the top ten. I can't go into the player that they're targeting. I could just say that you know they if they don't get their player, they're definitely willing to trade out because he. They've kind of made it clear to teams that have called, hey, if our guy's not there, you know, whatever, whatever player that is, whatever position that is, rather, they'll they'll look to trade out. But yeah, you're right. I don't look. I, the, the Metcalf stuff's all internet rumors. None of it's true. The, uh, my understanding: is Seahawks absolutely don't want to trade Metcalf. With a caveat, I'm, I would n- never say never. It would be embarrassing for them to trade Metcalf because they got that one right. They they typically don't extend players until August when the last year of their contract. Sometimes they don't at all. They wait till after the season's over. But now if Metcalf caused a problem, you know if he made it, he pulled a Stephon Diggs and he made it. I'm uncomfortable. That changes everything. Like if he wanted to be out, that may change their narrative. But my understanding is they don't want to trade him. Uh, we'll say never say never, but we know how much the Eagles liked him before the draft. The reason why they didn't his neck but i don't right. know if the neck's an issue with it all right adam
0: kaplan InsideTheBirds.com dot com and the inside the birds podcast uh the intel show with greg cosell and all the great stuff at the inside the birds platform and right here every day on football at four adam kaplan i will talk to you my friend you got it thank you all right adam will be back later on this week i believe friday adam is back for football at four tomorrow jeff mosher is back we got a lot more Eagles, NFL draft, NFL offseason to discuss. Sports fast being brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your spring break getaway now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at Spirit.com. I'm Mike Gill. The headlines are coming up next. We'll talk Sixers with Michael Katsky-Blomain in 2020 two-minute sticker. Now, back to the Sports Bash
3: on 97.3 ESPN.
0: All right, 4.30 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Josh Hennings, my producer. You know, we've talked so much about the Sixers and the Phillies win last night. A lot of other things going on. Play-in tournament tonight. I'm kind of interested. Um, I think... Um, I'm more interested in the Friday games than I would be tonight and tomorrow's games. I'm out on uh, the uh, the Western games. You get the Spurs and the Pelicans. I think is one of the games. I mean, I have like zero interest in that game. Uh, but what else is <laughs> what is uh, what is going on out there that I may have be missing?
1: Well, one of the top stories right now in a lot of places is this congressional report that comes out. Alleging that the Washington Commanders football team and their Daniel Snyder have broken numerous financial laws. They apparently owe visiting teams and season ticket holders money. The I saw U- this a
0: couple of weeks ago, but I saw something new today.
1: Yes. So the U.S. House Oversight Committee sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission saying it has uncovered evidence of the Washington Commanders engaging in what they're calling unlawful. Financial conduct. Now, on the surface, you're just like, okay, it sounds like a very big term, but apparently, the committee has emails, documents, and statements made by numerous people that the team has a long history of, first of all, not disclosing ticket sales. Home games to visiting teams and trying to defer that money on the books to say it was non games, like for example, a Kenny Chesney concert was on one document, a college football game, the same on another document. Ticket revenue is shared among all 32 NFL teams. So a failure to report ticket sales correctly violates league rules and also violates taxation rules, apparently. That's the one problem. There's also another issue where ticket ticket holders, season ticket holders, are supposed to get, you know, some money back if certain promises are not made. Or how often does that happen? Well, apparently Washington owes a bunch of people money, who are who are ticket holders. Why for the
0: pipe bursting with uh, poop all over them? Is that one of the reasons?
3: Or no. That?
1: So part of it apparently has to do with the lockout. Apparently there's a something in their clauses that says that they're supposed to get money back if the team can't have a full stadium or a certain capacity for their tickets for example. There's also an issue of, apparently Daniel Snyder has a long history according to Chris Russell who covers the team down in Washington. He's got a great Twitter handle. He was Russellmania. He was saying in in answer to this story that apparently Daniel Snyder has been trying to manipulate local laws so people can't park anywhere except for the official team parking. Apparently, there's a parking lot across the street that they don't own. And he tried to make it a law that you couldn't cross the street on game days.
0: Jeez. At what point do you just take the team away from this clown? Right? This goes back to the conversation we've had before About people that have a lot of money aren't very smart. They just kind of ask backward themselves into money.
1: Into yes.
0: Once they have the money, their brains go away. They may have had money, brains to get the money, Mm -hmm. but they lose all thinking ability once they have the money.
5: Apparently, I'm going
0: to buy the ugliest suit I can find just because I want to show people that I have. Ungodly money that I can spend on the ugliest clothes I can find. Right.
1: Apparently, also a lot of these documents would never have come to light if it wasn't for the sexual harassment. Uh, wow. Uh, Open records act requests. Yeah. Well. So. <laughs>
0: I feel like every once in a while, this stuff should probably be have to go. You know, I don't know. I mean, audit
1: it. Yeah. Maybe everyone just needs to be audited sometimes. How about that? You got that much money, we should double-check you.
0: There's a lot of bad people out there. Daniel Snyder is one of them, two of them, three of them, four of them. (laughs) He qualifies for being multiple bad people. He just sucks at life. Is that fair, or am I being harsh?
1: That's excellent. I I endorse your message.
0: Uh, Just strip the team from him and take Ross with you while you're at it.
1: (laughs) Just let them both just... You know, go tell them to go join the XFL. Um, remember, well, I don't think they deserve that right. Well, you know, if you got money, you should be able to do something with it. Right? I guess. I don't know. Uh, the Deshaun Watson situation is another story that just came out. So, According to Yahoo Sports and uh, Pro Football Talk, the 22 pending suits, civil suits against Deshaun Watson may have no resolution until 2023. According to a source, Rusty Harding, who represents Watson, and Tony Busby, who represents the 22 plaintiffs in the suits, have exchanged about what they want to do with the timing of these cases. Well, they agreed they're they're not going to have any cases from August 1st to March 1st of 2022-2023. But because there's a scheduling conflict issue with a backlog of cases... In the legal system, thanks to the pandemic lockdowns, yeah. we may not have a resolution to Detroit Watson until next summer.
0: Well, I know there's a lot of owners that are pretty uh, irritated by uh, about, to the Browns about the extension they gave. Maybe the Browns now had some knowledge that this wouldn't be, you know, messed with for a year at least. Right. I mean, this whole situation has has been a mess.
1: Also, don't forget, Roger Goodell says he's still investigating the situation. Sure. That and the Redskins, or the Commanders, whatever they're called—the Washington football team.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, literally, I—I I, I really don't think that the NFL wants to get involved in this or wants to have to deal with this. If this thing just kept conveniently getting pushed aside, pushed off, they'd be thrilled.
1: I just gotta feel like at some point, if you are. If you're the NFL, you just gotta put your foot down a little bit, don't you? Like, you gotta just be like, look, no resolution to this. You're going on the commissioner exemplist. We're not gonna see you for a year. Good luck, right? Well,
0: you didn't play it all last year. I mean, was that like, hey, your team's gonna stink anyway? Just sit him out the year.
1: I don't know. It's such a mess. And the fact they gave him 200000000 million-plus guaranteed money. Well, is, and, and the works. other teams
0: apparently are not happy about that.
1: Well, they're mad because they felt like the, the Browns manipulated the system, basically. And that they don't like the fact that now this there's a precedent to get this guy this much money guaranteed when all these other teams are trying not to give as much money guaranteed out.
0: Although you can't—you also can't have collusion. No, Just because all the yeah. other teams come together and say, well, we're not giving him money— if somebody thinks that's the best move for their organization, I can't begrudge them.
1: I'm going to get one more baseball story in here. I like baseball. Well, you might not like this I'm story.
0: i all up for some. I think the lockout actually helped. And elevated your interest? It's like, yeah. I mean, we always say, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Mm-hmm. Why in this situation do we not feel that way?
1: I think everybody's a little different. I think some people just don't care about baseball. A bunch of other people, right? But people are like, "Oh,
0: this lockout! People, you're you're turning people away." No, I think people actually yearned for more, and the Ooh. fact that it didn't start like a week later, the the weather's been like today. It's beautiful out.
1: Ball games what six thirty? First pitch tonight.
0: Yeah, the Phillies are playing in April. Earlier games. You like that? I do like that. Although I'm not used to it yet. Yesterday I forgot, like I didn't remember. I had a baseball game myself last night, so sure. I got in the car just in time to hear uh, Dee Dee's double. Oh, nice! I like that. I mean, literally, I turned the car on, and that's what happened. But yeah, the games are they six thirty or six forty five?
1: Well, last night was six thirty. They're all at the same time. So I'm assuming it's six thirty tonight.
0: But it's yeah. only for the month of April, I think. The For school, calendar. like during the school, I think. Maybe Six forty-five. Okay, six forty-five.
1: One o five tomorrow. Then it's then they go to Miami and it's six
5: forty.
0: I don't like the weekday day game. You know, because like what we do, I'd like to go home and have the game. You know, like I said it's like your friend; he's always there <laughs> on Thursdays. My friend has a terrible schedule.
1: Now, how about this? So, when the Phillies return from their road trip. They have a three-game series with the Brewers that is all 7 p.m., 7.05, first-pitch-type times. The Rockies series are 6.45. Huh. Not sure. They, they sent out a press
0: release about the 6.45 times about why they were doing
1: it. Well, I think the 7 o'clock one is because it's a national broadcast game. So maybe oh, that, that's, that might be the reason why that one got moved.
0: Is it a weekend game?
1: Well, the one it? game is Sunday baseball at 7 p.m., but then okay. Friday night, it's 7.05. Now maybe, that's, maybe that's the Apple TV game?
0: Oh, maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen the Apple TV full schedule. Apple, I'm, I'm
1: just spitballing. It doesn't actually say it's an Apple TV. I'm just reading that it's 7.05, that Friday game. Gotcha. Uh, but I want to ask you about the Cincinnati Reds. By so, the way,
0: it's not an Apple TV game. Okay. Well, oh, maybe. wait. Uh... Maybe not,
1: maybe not.
0: April 15th. No, it's not. White Sox-Rays is the 7 o'clock. Dodgers-Reds is the 10
1: o'clock. Gotcha. Well, I was trying to guess. Is why that game guess. in Cincinnati at 10 o'clock? <laughs> I love that. But I do want to talk about the Cincinnati Reds because the son of owner Bob Castellini, his name is Phil, he's the team's president and chief operating officer who runs the business of ballpark operations. He was on the local station, Cincinnati, WLW. That's the flagship station. When he was asked about fans who might be frustrated with the team's progress, Phil answered, well, where are you going to go? Let's start there. I mean, sell. who do you want me to sell the team? Sell the team to who? That's the other thing. You want to have this debate? You want to have it look like what you've been in this team? More profitable, make more money, compete more? And he goes on the vent for another five minutes about how the fans just need to put up with the team and that <laughs> if they really want him to sell the team, maybe they should.
0: So he's on the radio, the owner?
1: Yes, the son of the owner who's a team Oh, president. the son of the owner. Yes, on the flagship station, WLW. Well, I
0: don't think that matters what station it was on, just the fact that he's on any air just
1: ripping into the fans.
0: He says, another also, person with money who's an
1: idiot. We're no more pleased with the results than the fans. I'm not sitting here saying anybody should be happy. I'm not sitting here polishing trophies in the office right now.
0: By the way, did you see the guy for the uh, Savannah bananas go up the bat with a bat on fire last night? He had a flame bat. I, a thought, I
1: didn't know that was real at first. I thought it was fake. Yep. I looked over, I'm like, that can't be real. Like, it was real. No, that's real. That's a real battle on fire.
0: Uh, what else is real is the Sixers have a real problem with the Raptors. We'll tell you why with Michael Kasky-Blomain from CBS Sports.
3: Coming up next. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader.
0: Russell Peters' Act Your Age
3: World Tour, Saturday, August
0: 20th, Ocean Casino Resort, Atlantic City. Tickets on sale Friday at 10 o'clock, theoceanac.com. Saturday at 6, Sixers and the Raptors. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Michael Caskey Blomain from CBS Sports gives us a little insight. On the series, the Raptors won three games to one during the regular season, Michael. Do we take anything from the four meetings between the two teams in the regular season?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I think you could take some, you know, in terms of projecting ahead to the matchup and where, you know, the Sixers might have an advantage with Joel in the post, where the Raptors are going to be really tough with their, you know, size and length along the perimeter. Obviously, some of it has to be taken with a grain of salt because the Sixers are, you know, a completely different team now with with James Harden than they were earlier in the season when they met the Raptors the first. I think it was two times before he was on the squad. But, you know, you could see even in that that most recent game uh, last week that they played that the Raptors ended up winning, just how they're going to throw you know a lot of different looks different bodies at joel to try to keep him off balance and i think you know you can kind of surmise from that how they're gonna you know plan to try to limit him moving forward
0: yeah you take a look at a lot of people michael seem to say this was a terrible matchup um do you first off agree that this is a bad matchup for philly and if so where are some of the matchups that are concerning towards you in a seven game series
2: yeah I don't think it's necessarily a bad matchup Mike I think it's you know probably not the best when you look at you know how the Sixers compared against played against the team like the Cavs or the Bulls this season just compared to the Raptors with the 1-3 record and the experience of you know Nick Nurse and some of their core guys like Siakam you know Fred VanVleet guys that are still there from that 2019 championship team but you know Overall, I think the Sixers should be able to take care of business here. They have, to me, still the two best players in the series, in Joel and Joel and James. Which, you know, as you know, obviously when the playoffs roll around, that's really where superstar players earn their money, earn their reputation. Um, you know, so I think the Sixers should be able to handle it. But I think the, you know, the depth that the Raptors have and the coaching and the length on the perimeter are really the three, you know, the three probably main concerns for Sixers fans or for the Sixers in general um, from the Toronto perspective coming into this series.
0: What does the Matisse-Thibel not being able to play for three games, how does that impact this series in your mind?
2: If that's what, you know, that's a great question, Mike. And to me, that's one of the biggest you know, X-Factors going in into the series, you know, obviously Matisse is a you know, huge part of what they do on the defensive end. I think it's going to be a little bit tough without him against the Raptors team that has a lot of, you know, perimeter guys, whether you want to use him as a body to put on Siakam if he gets going, whether you want to try to stifle Van Vliet's activity from the perimeter with Matisse. You know, he's the type of guy that can guard a two or three or even a four if he needs to. And just not having him out there, I think it's, you know, it's going to put more stress, obviously, on Danny Uh, Danny Green, some of the other bench guys. And I think it hurts a little bit in terms of continuity. Obviously, when you're playing in the postseason, each game kind of builds on the other game, and it's going to be kind of a tough situation. You know, we talked about it all year with the Nets, how it was kind of awkward for them to have to play one game with Kyrie and then come back and play, you know, another game without him and kind of adjust the lineup, adjust the rotation. And obviously, Doc has already taken a lot of criticism about how he adjusts rotations throughout the season. So it's just another thing on his plate and on the team's plate that they're going to have to kind of worry about and deal with. But hopefully, I still think even without Matisse, like I was saying, I think there's a, the Sixers have enough. It's not going to be easy. But, you know, if, they, if they're able to play their game and, and their guys like Joel and James are at their top of their game, it, it should be all right for them still. Uh,
0: Michael Kasky, Blooming, CBS Sports. Um, the backup center has been a sore spot, uh, obviously, for Doc Rivers. He had a little episode the other night. How do you think he plays the backup center minutes?
2: It's going to be fascinating, Mike, because by his logic, you know, what he said the other night uh, that you just referred to, it would be, you know, probably Paul Reed, because this is, uh, you know, a Toronto team that is, you know, smaller, relatively more athletic. They don't have, you know, huge lumbering traditional centers, uh, especially, in the, uh, you know, the, the bench unit there. So, you know, from based on what he said, I think Paul Reed would, would certainly be a better fit, especially with. Uh, without Matisse for those games in Toronto Paul Reed's potentially another you know pretty big athletic somewhat mobile body that you could throw at, at a guy like Siakam or at a guy like Chris Boucher uh, some of the depth that Toronto has so you know if Doc stays, stays true to his word in this particular matchup I think we should be seeing some more of Paul Reed and you know obviously after the way he's played the past couple of games with the energy um, and the you know the, the effort that he's brought I think you know it's, it's deserving and in this Raptors series especially without Matisse I think he could be useful you know just just for his size and his athleticism
0: yeah uh it'll be interesting because he he did say hey you know we use him against smaller guys and he said it in a condescending way but that's not the case they played the Pacers on Tuesday night and played DeAndre Jordan in that game and on Saturday they played Paul Reed so he kind of wasn't telling the truth so much there I don't know why he's so defensive about it rather than Michael say you know what the kid came in gave us energy and gave us some good minutes I'm interested to see uh, what what happens moving forward here you know I I don't understand why he got so defensive
2: no, I'm totally with you, Mike. That was honestly the first thing I thought. and I'm pretty sure that the reporter that asked the question even followed up with, you know, that by saying, you know, these teams that you've just played Paul Reed against recently, we've played in the past couple weeks, and you went with DeAndre Jordan. So, you know, maybe this is a new thing that, that Docs approaching with that the, in terms of playing. DeAndre against bigger guys and Paul Reed against smaller guys but like you just said in terms of the matchups over the past month or two that just has not been the case it's been DeAndre Jordan uh give it minus a game or two with Paul Millsap getting some time it's been those guys and Paul Reed hasn't got the opportunity and the question to me of you know do you think it would have been beneficial to get Paul some more minutes throughout the season to have him you know maybe a little bit more prepared and experienced yeah. for this playoff run was a valid one and I think it's one that you and I talked about you know throughout the season that it was it just seems strange especially after you make that move to trade Andre Drummond who was clearly a, a great backup center was better than Paul Reed obviously better than Deandre and he was deserving yeah. of those minutes but once he was off the roster at that point it would have been a you know an ideal time to get Paul or, or Bassey, who we haven't even mentioned yep. you know some some of those minutes and he and he just didn't do it and you know maybe at this point that's why he's feeling a little defensive because you know people are pointing out that hey you know if you had played these guys more maybe you would feel a little more confident Totally
0: totally agree with that, and I'm not saying they should have been playing while Drummond was here. My point is when Drummond was gone, you had the opportunity to try. And another point is, you know, a guy like Isaiah Joe, I I don't know, like, okay, I'm not sitting here telling you that he's going to help you win the NBA championship, but you gave Korkmaz 20 minutes a game for 65 games. You know what he is. He he is what he is. Why not see if, hey – I know what the ceiling is of Maz. Maybe I have a higher ceiling with this kid. I don't know until I play him. You can always go back to the veteran, I think. Damn. Uh, We lost Michael Kasky-Blomain. And, uh, you know, I I think we made that point, and he kind of agreed. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We were kind of running out of town with MKB anyway. So uh, we'll have him, of course. uh, We'll bring up. He's right back here real quick. We'll, We'll get that last point from MKB. Just to finish up, Michael. You know, the point I was making about Joe, which was, look, I don't know that he's going to win you the NBA championship, right? Do you hear me? Yeah,
2: yeah, sorry right, about that.
0: Right, that's okay. I don't know that he's going to win you the NBA championship. I'm not claiming that. But you know what Korkmaz's ceiling is. Like, you gave him 20 minutes a night. Why not in October, November, December, it, once Moz is showing you, hey, my game hasn't hasn't evolved any much more, why not give Joe a chance to play 20 minutes a game with a rotational players?
2: Yeah, 100%, Mike. Isaiah, is, you know, like we were just saying, you can say the same about, about Reed and Bassie, And that's, you know, to me, I think you and I are kind of on the same page in terms of all the criticism that Doc has received throughout the course of the season. Not all of it's warranted. You know, coaches can only control so much. But to me, that has been probably the biggest thing that I would point to this season in terms of my criticism of Doc is just, you know, earlier in the season when you had the chance and the team was dealing with, you know, a lot of injuries, COVID illnesses and things, you could have given some of these guys an opportunity. And you see some of the other teams across the NBA, whether it's the Heat, the Raptors, some of the teams in the West, getting big boosts from younger players that got the opportunity. And these guys look like they have the skills, you know, like Isaiah, Paul Reed, that they could do that. So, you know, I'm with you. I don't have a a great answer as to why that didn't happen, but I I certainly agree that it it should have happened throughout the season. It could come back to hurt the Sixers now in the post. Season.
0: mkb michael caskey Blomain cbs sports sixers raptors it all starts saturday right here on 97.3 espn mkb i'll talk to you bud thanks mike have a good one man all right that's uh, michael caskey Blomain and right now <laughs> i need call number seven six oh nine five seven three three seven seven six six oh nine five seven three three seven seven six Caller 7, you are entered in for a chance to pick your trip, which includes airfare, hotel, pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. Caller 7, you are qualified for a chance to pick your trip. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. New Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysporttrip.com It's also brought to you by Ernest & Sons' old-fashioned butcher shop in Brigantine. We will be broadcasting live. Caller 7, you must be there April 28th at Slack-Tide Brewing Company. If you're not there, you cannot win. You must be present to win. Pick your trip. From the Sports Bash and Philly Sports Trips and
3: Ernest & Son's Old Fashioned Butcher Shop, another chance. South Jersey's home of the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. Oh, I like that. (laughs) me too. WENJ, WENJ-HD Millville, Atlantic City. A Town Square media station serving all of South Jersey. This is 97.3 ESPN this is the sports bash with mike gill on 97.3 espn now live inside the matt black kia studios here's mike gill our four o'clock hour qualifier rob
0: in delhaven congratulations rob you are a qualifier for pick your trip you have a chance to win an eagles road trip what a great prize thanks to philly sports trips and ernest and son's old-fashioned butcher shop in Brigantine, One lucky winner will get to pick the Eagles road game of their choice. You pick whatever Eagles road game you want to go to this year. We'll pay for the airfare, the hotel. There's a pregame tailgate party that comes with it. And you get two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. We'll have another chance to qualify tonight at 555-655 on game night and all day tomorrow, Thursday, Friday. And then next week will be your final week to qualify here on the Sports Bash, leading you up to a live broadcast on Thursday, April 28th, at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83, Cape May Courthouse. Pete Thompson is here. It's a Tuesday with Thompson. Speaking of Slack Tide Brewing, PT, I had a couple of Slack Tides on Saturday night when I saw you. Yeah, you got after it a little bit, right? Uh, it's all good. Uh, slack tides are good. Uh, we were celebrating. I, I... We were celebrating the PT. Yeah, how about that? They gave me an award. I mean, who would have thunk it? Right? Yeah, I said uh, you got the-, the Lifetime Achievement Award and haven't been to a game in seven years. That's amazing. <laughs> ah, That was the line at your table. I thought the other line was something like, you're not going to let them talk, are you? <laughs>
4: or something like that. I can, I can hear some, uh, some comments over there in the peanut gallery. And yet, I was so nice to your table. I spoke very uh, glowingly about the fact that you and uh Doug are the future and I even I'll give Chris Losey a little props, are the future of high school sports right now, in my opinion. But to get an award after John Pirantazzi, uh who, you know, I don't know if you knew him that well, Mike I know John really. Guy, well. He was he was an outstanding individual who just devoted his life to high school basketball around here. And uh, you know, in fact it's It's funny, I put up a thing on Facebook, I guess, the next day or maybe the two days after, and Dave Catalana, you know, uh, was one of the first, said, thank you for saying nice things about my father-in-law, you know, and okay. Okay nod tip nod wink you know i mean it's my favorite thing about that banquet and uh, props to johnny rodeo and all the people steve westcott that are on that board but my favorite thing are those johnny awards you know when he uh, w- and i forget if it was steve or if it was uh johnny or who stood up there i think it was was it steve or johnny johnny stood up and said as the assigner or he got a call the next day about how uh, in wildwood that's right. Not West Wildwood in Wildwood, right? Uh, that uh, a guy had uh, gone down and officiated a game, and threw out like the assistant superintendent, the fire chief, the assistant fire chief, the something, something. You know, he named like seven different things, and he says he threw out seven people, and the guy goes, "They're all the same guy,"
7: <laughs>
4: <laughs> which I thought was uh, that's uh, that was so classic. I mean, I love the fact anytime that. Coaches and officials can get together and break bread and tell some stories, and it's all for the common good. And, of course, they gave away some scholarship money, too, which I thought was great. You know, uh, Cameron Dirks, Amini Fate, Kim Cassiello, Kennedy Campbell on the girls' side. That was the Dave Triano scholarship. And then uh, Gill. Now, listen, Mike Gill. I know that you don't get choked up that much. But if you didn't get choked up when Paul Rodeo got choked up as they he gave the Triano boys Dom and Ernie uh, the scholarships, I mean, how do you how do you not uh, get a little uh, lump in your throat there when Coach Paul Rodeo is up there talking about he wasn't sure he was going to live, no less be able to coach high school boys basketball this past season?
0: Yeah, it was a. Uh, I thought that was a great moment. I also did not realize. I think I mentioned this the other day that. Uh, dave troiano was not related to the other troianos i i figured every every troiano had to have been related in some capacity and he said sure enough no he was telling me the whole story i said man what what an unbelievable uh, coincidence
4: yeah it's funny like that isn't it i mean and then there's certain towns that you know like how about in Hamilton? there was a period of time in Hamilton that if you weren't a crescenzo you weren't really from Hamilton. you know what i mean like you just you just start playing that last name game but uh There's only two Mike Gills, and I usually get to eat lunch with him, so I like those guys.
0: Yep, not very common name there, but uh, Pete Thompson is with us now. It's a Tuesday with Thompson, PT. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, You know, this Boehm thing I think is very compelling. Now, I could care less. The guy said, I don't want to be here, or I bleeping hate this place is what he basically said, or that's what he said. He admitted that he said it, and I said, look— You've said I don't like where I'm at, where I'm working. I've said it. Boom has said it. It's not a big deal. He just got caught on tape, but he owned it and he admitted. I think it's funny though, by the fact that he said, "Yeah, you know what? I did say that." And now people love him all of a sudden. Like I don't understand. The guy came out and said, "You don't." Do you think he was being sincere when he said that? Of course he was. The guy hates it here. Well, he's not. He's not really uh, in a very
4: winnable situation because he's. He can hit his way to keep in the lineup, but defensively, he's had issues. I mean, that's not a surprise to anybody. And look, the part that got me the most, Mike, is that of all the sports – what other sport can you just put your glove in front of your mouth? Like had he just been the pitchers do it all the time, right? So they so that you can't you couldn't lip read or you couldn't see what was coming, right? So all he would have had to do was put his glove up in front of his mouth and he could have audibly said, "I effing hate this place to DD or whoever else he was talking to." They would have heard him. Nobody would have read his lips and it wouldn't have even been an issue, but I guess at a young age and frustration takes over and 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 why are they uh, why is the fan base excited that he owned it Including (laughs) me. And I tweeted
0: about I know. that. This that, is you know, this is a story that is right up your alley. It's like I hate this place. I'm sorry I said that. I love you now. <laughs> well,
4: I I just think that there's been other Philly athletes that have tried to dance around what they've said, and when you're dead to right or or people that won't talk at all, you know. I mean, I'm I'm looking at you, Ben Simmons, right. So I mean, the people that just won't up to won't own up to their f ups, that won't own up to their mistakes. You know, your uh, Mike Schmidt had the quote and it was right you know it's the only place where you can experience the thrill of victory and the agony of reading about it the next day and the truth now is it you don't even have to wait to the next day now i missed We were outside, we were listening to the game on the radio for the first couple innings. So by the time I got home to watch that thrilling comeback, which was unbelievable, okay, that unexpected comeback, I said, you know what, I'm going to be on with Gil tomorrow. I'm going to really dive into this post-game show and watch it pretty intently and see what the stats are and see what the graphics are and all that stuff. And And when they asked Joe Girardi about Alec, I'm thinking like, huh, something must have happened. And then it didn't take very much to dig back into it to find out what had happened and what had taken place. And so then, of course, that was must-see TV. I had to keep watching to see how Bone would handle it. And, you know, to his credit, to his credit, not only did he admit that he said it, but then Jim Salisbury followed up with, well, well, do, do you hate this place? <laughs> real, yeah. sort of, real sort of innocently. Like, no, he okay, said, so,
0: <laughs> so you like it here? He goes, yeah, yeah. I, I do. But yeah. I look at it as Pete, Hopefully, it's an aha moment for this kid. I mean, like, he was the number three overall pick in the draft. Like, there's Mm -hmm. something there. He was drafted to be special. When you're drafted that high, it doesn't always happen. But the hope is that you become a difference-making player. He has been so nondescript in his career so far. Now, the guy was the second... Uh, runner-up for the Rookie of the Year award. And you felt like, oh, wow, we finally got somebody, a young player that might be something. And then last year, he crashes and burns. And the one thing that's frustrating is we are so fast to just say, oh, I want a new toy. This is a toy. He's a new toy. Like, let's give him a shot. <laughs> but we just want oh, get, to get him out of here. He stinks. He's 25 years old. There's a lot of baseball players who don't mature until a little bit older. Now, defensively he's a disaster and and I think that the Phillies have done him a disservice by keeping him at third base and they obviously did not work with him and he's regressed he's gotten worse he's not only a disaster like you said they've done him a disservice because
4: he really has nowhere to go right I mean last year when he started booting balls they sent him down but he's doing everything with his bat to make it compelling to keep him up and yet where are you going to move him to? You can't move him to first base because that's where Reese Hoskins is, right? And then you can't move him to DH because you went out and got guys to move into the DH. Well, I mean, that's what here, here's Your free thing. agent signings. Were. Here, so where here,
0: are you going to put him? Here's the thing. They had to go out and get all these guys because they didn't trust him. You know, if you right. could hit to the level that you hope, you don't have to get Castellanos because you have a guy that can play third base and hit. The problem is you know, you don't trust his bat either. You could easily play him at first base. I mean, his problem to me is the throw. He can't make the throw consistently. He fields the ball. I'm not saying like a gold glover, but his throws are an adventure. I mean, he has, he's long, he's tall. His throws are just, they're wild. At first base, you don't have to make the throw as often. And I'm not saying he'd be a gold glove first baseman either, uh, but you could have easily not signed Castellanos, made H- Hoskins the DH, and moved Boehm to first. But I just don't think that they trusted him in any capacity in the field or at bat. Yeah, I would agree with that.
4: And, and you know what's interesting, too? And, and I don't know if you saw this. So you read The Athletic. Because you and I weren't in the locker room, obviously, the clubhouse afterwards. But but after he, he like sort of endured the Philly media you know, and everybody gave him the props for standing up. Even his own teammates came over. Castianos and Kyle Schwarber both went over and like slapped palms with him and high fived him. Like, good job, way to stand up for yourself, way 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 to, way to own it. You know what I mean? So that that's kind of interesting as well. That like you know he's got veteran. Like Castianos has come out on the record as saying. You know, he would have been a third baseman, except he couldn't field that position. And that's how he ended up in left field. It's a tough position to play. I don't know why I'm telling you, you played the damn game. And I tried to give you props about playing the game. But what did you do? You pointed out that it's coaches that do the rankings.
0: There you go. <laughs> now, I have made the move from third base to left field and not very good, mind you. <laughs>
4: PT played right field. Uh, I played second base until I absolutely couldn't hit. So then they moved me to right field. Isn't that like no man's land? Like that's where you put the worst guy on your team. And then I threw out Keith Kratz from the creek from left field one time. That was my baseball highlight. By by like 13, I basically knew that baseball was not in my future.
0: Yeah, uh well, second base is a position that uh, a lot of like uh kids who are learning the big field go to because it's mm-hmm. a short throw for them.
4: Yeah, I, I thought I was okay at second base, you know, but then you know, all of a sudden I was in right field.
0: And then pretty soon I was in left field, but then I was keeping the book. Well, let's get back to this Bohm thing here because you know Sorry. I'm hoping that somebody got to him. Like Schwarber, from what I'm understanding, Schwarber... Some people have compared him to, like, a Dalton almost, that he really takes control of that locker room and is a voice in that locker room. Or a Bryce Harper who said to Boehm, listen, like, these guys aren't booing Alec Boehm. They're booing the mistake that you made. It it could have been Mike Schmidt playing third base. He's going to get booed. It's not that they hate Mike Schmidt. It's that they don't like the result of the play. And I think that's what athletes have a hard time with sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and and keep in mind, this guy's 25 years
4: old. You know, Susan's son, Michael, is 25 years old. His knee-jerk reaction would be to say, F-U-P-T, right? Instead of, like, if I'm trying to offer him some advice. That would be the first reaction. And then maybe he'd have a little calming influence and sit back and think, oh, maybe you are trying to tell me something, right? I mean, that's exactly what, like, Didi Gregorius did. Like, you talked about uh, Castellanos, right? And, And Schwarber, too. I mean, that's what guys like that are supposed to do. For younger players, it's just that this one went so public, so fast, so, and and hopefully we can we can move on from it now. I mean, I don't see any reason to linger over, but but I think you know I saw your initial thing this morning where you were basically saying why is this even a big deal, and I thought to myself, of course it's a big deal because that's the way the Philly fan thinks, you know. Yeah, well, I was talking
0: earlier about like (laughs) you know I get the Bronx cheer comes from the Bronx and seven, that's why it's called it, but I said. It's only, like, here and, like, a handful of places that even have the thought. Like, he makes the play at third after the errors. It's a routine play, and he makes the play. And everybody's mindset universally in the building is, we're going to Bronx cheer this guy. And so let's like, just look at the division. I think the Mets Mets fans would have done that if he was a Met
4: uh, and that's it. Phillies and Mets, I think, are are really it. Because I don't think Nationals fans would either be there or do that. I think the Braves fans are, are not that way. And and who cares about the Marlins, right? So if you go around the division, I don't think there's any other fan base just in the division that would do that. But, you know, uh, I, I was okay with the response at the time. And I'm okay with what his response was. Did you see this thing about Jeff Singer before we move away from the Phillies? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of hoping that the Cinderella story that was going to get called up on a random Tuesday in April was going to be
0: Mike Adams. But um, I guess it's not his turn yet. Well, uh, very similar story. 28 years old, was working at a car dealership, was playing in the Burlington County League. That's uh, right. And then uh, ended up getting signed by the Camden River Sharks. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, then the Phillies picked him up. And the rest, as they say, is history.
4: I love the phone call with his dad. He said, like, what are you going to do? First of all, he wakes his dad up, so his dad's pissed off to begin with. And then he says, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I was going to cut the lawn. Oh, I thought you might want to go to the Phillies game. He says, no, I'm going to watch it on TV. Well, I'm going to be there.
0: You know, <laughs> That's AKA a, that part of the uniform. story is, uh, is nice. Where did you hear that at? I just read it in the,
4: uh, in, on uh, the Inquirer. Oh, very nice. Matt,
0: Matt Breen, 19 minutes ago, published that piece. That's a nice addition to that story there, that his father had no idea. What, he did not have social media, I imagine. I would imagine no. Yes, uh, is the
4: Sixers schedule out? Speaking of social the, media, do we know anything beyond
0: Saturday? No, not the whole thing. Just the Saturday game is uh, has been released. Six o'clock. I was just going to transition to the Sixers and get it's your. Like I could read your mind. Initial reaction when you saw that they would be playing the uh, uh, the Raptors. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's been trending that way
4: for a while now. And my initial reaction is that, you know, uh, they better figure out a way to slow down Siakam. You know, it's been a couple of years since Siakam cared to carved them up. And it's not like he's gotten any worse. I mean, my God, I- I'm looking at these stats here. Over 30 points per game in the three games that he did play against the Sixers. Chris Boucher had uh, 16 points a game. I mean, obviously the Sixers have who I consider to be the MVP, but it hurts him. Look, I mean, the whole thing with the, the Fible thing and his explanation the other night, like, I I watched that. I also watched Doc dress down. I guess it was Derek Bodner uh, who he was getting after, and, and even Susan, who doesn't, you know, she's not actively watching the press conferences like I am, and she's like, is he mad? And I go, "Uh uh-huh. And she's like, is he, is he, how is he, who is he talking to like that? Like, you know, you pick up on the tone of, I thought it was a little over the top. You know, I understand that doc played the NBA and he's the coach and, we are the quote unquote journalists, but I, I just thought it was a little over the top the
0: way he's. Oh, there's a question. I, I thought for um, the way he answered that, I actually said if I was the owner of the team, I'd call him in and say, you need to go out there and apologize. You made the organization look bad the way you answered that question.
4: Do you think I,
0: that happened? No. And I don't say that like, you know, most of the time it's. Right. But for, the way he acted there was embarrassment. He should be embarrassed. Doc Rivers should be embarrassed the way he answered that question. Well, and you
4: accurately pointed out, because I listened, you pointed out the inaccuracies or the in, inconsistency of his answer where he was trying to say, like, we only use Paul Reed when we go small. And then you pointed out, oh, yeah, well, here's that, Here's your evidence. Here's exhibit A and B. So have, a, have an answer and stick with it. It's almost like I was up there answering. I had one answer, then I changed it to another. <laughs>
0: yeah. Flip-flop PT. You're not known to do that. Never. I'm, I'm locked, stock, and ready. Here's the thing. You know, I'm not one to criticize the coach as the reason why teams win and lose. But they do have a role, and this is where I feel you can't have the coach hurt you. And where Rivers, to me, has hurt them is he hasn't explored opportunities that might be there. In other words, I know what DeAndre Jordan gives me. I can Mm -hmm. rely on old reliable. I can go to my veteran at any time. But I don't know what I have in this guy. So I have to try to see what I have in him. I didn't give myself and my team enough of an opportunity to see if Charles Bassey or Paul Reed maybe offer more than the veteran players I have. And if they don't, if I say, Paul Reed, I'm going to give you the next 15 games to go out there and show me what you got. And in those 15 games, if you don't give me enough, I can always go back to DeAndre Jordan. Now, and
4: I Doc think there's always been that way that he always leans on his veterans and, and almost to a
0: fault. Right. And know? I don't so like he, what he said. I don't like what he said, PT. And he's saying when another team goes small, we go small with Reed. And when they have a big five, we play Jordan. Well, why don't you make the other team make the adjustment to you? Why right. do you have That's to make why do yeah. you have to make the adjustment to what they want to do? Why don't you say we're gonna go with Embiid and Reed? What are you gonna do about that? Yeah, and and the winning teams
4: are the ones that dictate tempo and style, right? I mean, isn't that aren't the most successful teams in the NBA the one that dictate their pace and what they want to do? Right? Look, right. it's it's it goes right back to Jim Thompson's favorite phrase. Do you want to be proactive or reactive? And I'm sorry, the teams that win in the NBA are the ones that are proactive, not the ones that are reacting
0: to something else. Right. Well, that's where you are letting Toronto then dictate the style of the series. And that's not a good recipe. Right. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't put it,
4: like, Toronto won three of the four games in the regular season. I don't put, I'm not one of those people that say, like, yeah, exactly, your facial expression just said it. I, I, they could have gone 4-0, no, and I don't think that has a lot of bearing. What does have a bearing, though, is that you're not going to have one of your best defenders in Thibel in the games in Toronto.
0: Well, Tim Legler was on yesterday, and I thought his point is, you know, look, if you lose because you don't have Thibel, that's your fault. If you lose, it's because James Harden wasn't James Harden. That's what the And trade he hasn't was for. been.
4: He's been hit or miss. And that's which what the trade was for. You, 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 made the trade. you made the yep.
0: trade to get a difference-making player because you had a player before in Ben Simmons that was very good during the regular season. But let's be honest, when the playoffs came, he was disappointing in a lot of these series. You got a player that your anticipation and hope and need is that he's not disappointing. And so far, I would say Harden, I don't want to say has bombed, but uh, he's been
4: questionable. Very much so. He's starting to show his age. He's starting to show, like, you know, I saw one headline that said, if this is his new normal, the Sixers are in trouble. And, and I would agree with that headline. You know, I mean, his, like, and we saw that at times, too, even from the time he came over, where, where when it got into an isolation game, you know, where like to me, the best James Harden is the one that's distributing the basketball when he finishes with uh, double digit assists. I think everything else is flowing and everything else works well. But when he's just trying to like do that little like step back three or dribble, dribble, dribble shot, you know, uh, that that to me is he doesn't you, you know, that's they know how to defend that. now. He doesn't have the explosiveness to beat anybody.
0: You're going to need it. Yeah, going to
4: time. Hey, I got some good news for you before you wrap this up here. All right. Larry David has confirmed to Rich Eisen that there will be a season 12 wow. of Curb Your Enthusiasm.
0: No, I haven't seen season 11 yet because I still haven't got access to HBO, but I'm going to work on that. I'll have to give you my password like everything else. Did you get me my master shirt yet? Um, I did put in a request and I have not got a response yet that's not on I'm me i'm willing
4: to pay full boat like it's i understand a... this is a flea market negotiation but uh, you know to me a master shirt you can't get this anywhere else so all right you want i me, don't care you want I'm me to saving... just
0: you just want me to get it at the price that it was up there yeah why not all right all right especially since i have some money in my venmo i could bounce it right to you okay here we go i am buying it right now there we go Purchase. Ooh, i'm excited. Purchased. You owe me forty dollars.
1: Nice.
0: Okay, very good. I will Venmo that
4: to you ASAP. Okay. Check well, maybe out. I'll let the shirt show up first.
0: Oh, what do you mean? You're gonna wait? Do we get? Do, do we get beat out? No. Um, <laughs>
4: this is this is riveting radio, right? Yeah. Something <laughs> happened here. Did somebody buy it? No, me... Probably. That would be such a PT and MG story, right? You, you bait the hook on Friday. You dangle the thing in front of me the entire Masters weekend. You rip me on the radio for watching the Masters instead of the Phillies
0: on the big TV. All right. Then there we you, go. Check it out uh, the purchase has been made. Confirmation. Oh, you owe me $40. Right.
4: $40. $40. Okay. Get it over. Here. Sounds good. All right. I'll send it over. All
0: right.
4: You going to watch a little uh, Zach Wheeler tonight?
0: Yeah. Where do you have practice? Nope. I'll be watching tonight. I like these 6:45 games. I like that. What was the reason behind that? You're probably one that knows that. You read those press uh, releases. They well, especially. I mean, I think they tiered it. I think only
4: in the month of April are they 6:45, and then once they get to May or June, like I don't think they're
0: 6:45 the entire season. No, it's but just, I, think, I think it's just for April.
4: Yeah, uh, you know, it's freezing cold. I mean, my dad went up on Sunday, and I originally was going to go and join him. And uh, I texted him later, and my father, who never leaves early, left the game in like the after the seventh inning. He was like, That's it. We, we got to go because it, it was like 40 degrees and cold. I mean, the games are raw. You know, now tonight, I think it would be a great night. And boy, if you're not working tomorrow, tomorrow's the day to play hooky. You know, uh, do you feel a little tickle in your throat, Gil? It's, uh, sorry, can't talk. Yep, I do feel that tickle. I'm out of here. I'll see you. Yeah. Day baseball. Got to do it. <laughs> All right, Peter. You know, it is tomorrow, right? Yeah, 105. And no, Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer. Oh,
0: is that on Apple Plus? No, I think it's on I think it's on <laughs> I think it's on the regular thing. I'm kidding.
4: <laughs> no, I'm uh, Josh
0: looking. He thought I was being serious too. What's wrong with <laughs> you two? The game's not yeah. on Apple Plus. Those games are on Friday nights at 7 and 10.
4: Oh, Apple Plus. Yeah, it's with the morning show and what other shows on Apple Plus that I can't watch because I don't have Apple. Urgh.
0: All right, Peter. All right, bud. This is it. See you. I'll send you the money. All right. 40 bucks. You owe me. Sure. Thanks. Got All right. That's a <laughs> Tuesday with Thompson here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. Sports Bash brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your spring break getaway now. Create memories to last a lifetime with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. When we come back, Philly's lineup, I got it for you. That and the matchup tonight, Nola Scherzer for Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN.
3: Now back to the Sports Bash on ninety seven three ESPN.
0: Uh, Wheeler makes his debut tonight. Zach Wheeler on the mound for the Phillies. Yes, indeed. As uh, the Phillies lineup tonight looks like this for Zach Wheeler, Kyle Schwarber leads off in left. J T Romuto plays center. Uh, is the catcher. He bats second. Bryce Harper off his feet tonight. He'll be the DH hitting third. Dick Castellanos is the right fielder hitting fourth. Reese Hoskins is at first base. He hits fifth. D.D. D. Gregorius is the shortstop. He hits sixth. Bryson Stotts over at second tonight. He hits seventh. Jonathan Camargo is at third base hitting eighth and hitting ninth in center field. Simone Muziotti gets his first, I believe, Major League start tonight in center field in the eight hole, excuse me, in the nine hole for the fightings. Two questions for you. Fire.
1: Number one, why do you think that they put Camargo at third instead of putting Stott back at third?
0: Fair question. Um, I'm, like, I didn't wouldn't think you want the
1: young man to get some consistency at the same position?
0: Right. Don't you want him to be at a spot that you might need him at more? You, you have um, – yeah, that's a fair question. Now, I got to see Camargo. Um, how much – I guess um, how much has
1: he played it? How much
0: second has he played as opposed to third, right? Because he's a pretty damn good. I would imagine he's a better third baseman than Stott is, and Stott probably feels more comfortable at second than he does third, but your point is valid of, hey, if you're going to use uh, all right, so Camargo has played third way more than he's played any place else. In fact, he's only okay. played second base in 38 games ever. He's okay. played third in 189 games. He's played short in 69
1: games. The big difference. So, yeah,
0: he is primarily a third baseman. Uh, second base would be a less um, played position for him. So that makes some more sense. Gotcha. I, your point is a good question, though, in terms of don't you want Stott to get more comfortable? I don't think they care about that as much. I don't think they view him as their third baseman of the future. I think they're just trying to get him through the season if they have to. And Camargo is a better third baseman and a more comfortable third baseman than Stott is right now.
1: My next question. They already had
0: a, 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 an adventure at third base last night. That's true. And by the way, Stott had a rough inning at third base a couple days ago.
1: That, that is true. My other question is, do you think Harper is DHing because of what happened last night? Yeah, they made that throw,
0: and he kind of held the elbow a little bit the there. grabbing the elbow,
1: kept working it around, Yeah, all that
0: stuff. Um, could be. I mean, look, the DH is there for that reason, to kind of give guys the day off. You get bat- nick- nicked up, banged up a little bit. Um, I did see um, the whole Harper thing, and I saw him kind of grabbing the elbow a little bit. Maybe. It- no, I wouldn't think so, though, because an elbow is going to bother you if you're hitting two.
1: So is it just maybe like a scheduled DH day? Like maybe like they yeah. say, hey, Bryce, you're going to play X number of days in the field, then you get one day at DH. Yeah,
0: I, I think, I, and they've been clear about this. They don't have a regular DH. I think they're going to rotate the DH around. And, and one of the casualties um, of this lineup, I think somebody tweeted this. It might have been Frank, actually. One of the casualties of this lineup being so deep, is that, like, JT Muto, you don't need him for DH at bat salt when he doesn't play. Like, the other day, he didn't play, and he wasn't the DH either. Right. Because you would have to have JT in the lineup in years past. You might have played him at first, or if there was a DH, because they had a DH a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, did they have a DH last year? Well,
1: they had DH when
0: they played in the in, American League. In the COVID year, though, they had a the DH. The
1: COVID year, they had DH the whole year, right.
0: yes. But not last year.
1: Not last year.
0: So j. t. is not getting the DH at bats because quite frankly their lineup is deep enough that they can give him the full day off. Now, you, you can say the same for Harper, but I don't think Harper I don't think they want to give Harper the full day off.
1: Well, let me ask you this real quick because the guy who plays first base is Reese Hoskins. Do you think that they value his bat in the lineup more than jt's? um because Jt's not playing catcher you could have moved him in the first two. base. Well, you know, it's like, like Hoskins is not a great –
0: for. yeah, but I, I don't think you're – I think you'll see Hoskins get a day off maybe tomorrow. It's a day game. Mm-hmm. Or the day game after the night game, yeah, you might see um, – well, Remoto's in the lineup tonight, so maybe he's not in the lineup tomorrow, and he's the DH. Okay. I, I, like, I think you're going to see a, a variety. Like, who hasn't had a day off yet? I don't know. Uh, Hoskins hasn't. So maybe tomorrow, Remoto plates first. I'm assuming tomorrow you're going to see Stubbs catch, I would imagine, right. day game after a night right. game. day game,
1: night game, yep.
0: You might see uh, Hoskins get his first day off. He hasn't played, hasn't got a day off yet either. Not We're gotcha. four games into the season. It's not like guys need a day off, but Segura's getting one off today. D.D. got one yesterday. He's also, I think, trying to get – Remember the whole thing at the beginning of the year, which was, hey, to keep Bohm and Stott, you got to make sure these guys get enough playing time. Correct. And Girardi essentially assured Dombrowski that we'll have enough playing time for these guys. I can't play D.D. every day. I can't play Segura every day. He also mentioned Reese Hoskins in there. I can't play him every day. So I think the D.H. will just rotate around. You'll see different guys. I mean, that game last night, though, had... It had a bunch of twists and turns in that game. You're right. It had the Harper. You know, it looked like he was hurt, that he wasn't hurt. And then you had, you know, we'd be talking a lot about D.D.'s clutch hit. um, But that kind of got lost in the sauce. How
1: about this? The Mets' bullpen looked like the Phillies' bullpen from last year.
0: Got that. The Phillies, I think if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, Suarez did not pitch well last night.
1: Well, let me ask you this: Did he not pitch well, or was he ill affected by the bomb error? Because, oh, that's fair. Because if Boehm doesn't throw that ball away, you're yeah, not in that fair. second and certainly third. Fair.
0: Yep, no, certainly fair.
1: Go ahead. So you know, maybe maybe there's one or two less runs on, and there's one or two less runs potentially on, on Rangers' night. Furthermore, he had what 30 pitches in the first inning last night. Like he labored to get through after that hour or so you have to wonder does ranger have a deeper game you don't have to go to the bullpen too soon
0: well my point with the bullpen is i'm trying to remember uh ranger threw two and two-thirds so the the, the he was on a
1: pitch count last the night. the
0: bullpen got 19 outs last night you had to get 19 outs out of your bullpen last night and they only gave up one run
1: The bullpen was better than the starter.
0: Well, the starter did not, you know, well, like you said, he didn't get help very much last night. And then you didn't have your closer. Now, he got put on the COVID list.
1: Right, but Brad Hand came in and shut things down. He
0: Came in, got a couple strikeouts. Dominguez, he looked good again. Um, Dominguez has looked good in both games that he's pitched. Yep. He was a guy that I said as an X-factor be- beginning of the season. Hand came in last night firing. The kid Nelson pitched four innings last night. You got 19 outs out of the bullpen last night. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Now, May got hurt, though, last night.
1: He did. Well, both guys got hurt. Because you know, Walker got hurt, and he left the game early, and then the other Mets pitcher as well got hurt. Uh, what was his name? Um, yeah, May, right. So Walker and May both got let the game injured after last night. So Yeah,
0: somebody, somebody texted earlier in the show, Cole from LBI, said if Trevor May didn't get hurt, Maybe the Mets can hold off the Phillies in that eighth inning, but it was a good game. and at least looks like a tough division because the Braves might be better than both the Phillies and the Mets. Yeah, but
1: Seth cool. Luka's a veteran pitcher. I mean, he's supposed to be a guy who has a history of success in this league. You're telling me that you know you bring in a veteran pitcher and he doesn't do?
0: Yeah. Did you see the Phillies bullpen the last couple of years? Call veteran pitcher sure. comes in and doesn't do anything.
1: <laughs> good point. Yeah. Well, like I said, the, the Mets bullpen and the Phillies bullpen swapped guys, it feels like, so. I don't think, though, that
0: I can recall, even like Chuck Knobloch, who, you know, had throwing issues. I don't think I've ever seen a guy make three throwing errors in in the same
1: game. Will we see Familia tonight out of the bullpen against his former team? Yeah, probably. Didn't see him last night. Wasn't the necessity to. It's tonight's a necessity because you're running out of well, runs. Well, you want know Dominguez pitching
0: an inning and a third last night, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, inning and a third for him. Nelson had four. Hand had one.
0: So who closes tonight, I guess, is a question. Maybe Familia.
1: Ooh, that'd be interesting.
0: Because uh, Kniebel's not available.
1: Kniebel's not available.
0: Dominguez pitching an inning and a third. you going to pitch. I'm wondering if Dominguez is available on back-to-backs.
1: That's a good question. I mean, maybe it's one of those things where they don't overtly say He's not available, or do they maybe like like you coached baseball, Mike? You played like it's one of those things where it's like we don't want you to pitch back to back, but if you have to. Well, I'm we just will. talking
0: about because of all the arm injuries that he has had. Oh, I know. But I'm saying all like, the is, time he has missed. Are there they going to say? Is there maybe a
1: conversation between Girardi and the pitching coach where they say?
0: Well, there's we guys don't... before the game that are told you're not available
1: tonight. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so maybe they tell Dominguez for the game, you're there for an emergency.
0: I don't even know that. If you're not available, you're just not available. It's not even an emergency. Like, if you're, like, now he pitched April 8th, which was, um, that was on Friday.
1: So he didn't pitch again
0: off. till Monday. So, I don't know. Will they use him on back-to-back night? That'll be a question. Who closes tonight? If they need a closer, that'll be a question. Brad Hand, are there. you available on back-to-back days? That's another question, because I don't think Hand pitched the day before. No, he didn't. So that's there's a lot there's you're, there's a lot of intriguing things that could happen because of Canable um, not being there and the way the game went last night where you needed 19 outs from your bullpen. Yeah, I think Familia would probably be the closer tonight. If you need a, if you need a save, I think it would probably be Familia.
1: It'd just be intriguing because it's former team.
0: Yeah, no question. And then you got Alvarado. Um... I guess Brogden would be available tonight as well.
1: If you don't want Familia to close, another. would you let Alvarado close? Uh, he
0: closed a game or two last year. Not much, but another question here. How many innings? What's the pitch count on Wheeler? He hasn't faced a hitter yet. He didn't face one batter at spring training.
1: They, they said on MLB Network this morning, J.P. Morosi, they're talking about the Mets-Yankees game, he said that Wheeler's on a pitch count. I he, would imagine he is, but he what's that number? He didn't say what the number was. But he basically suggested that it might be similar to Rangers' situation.
0: He threw 45 pitches in two innings in a minor league game. So he threw 60 pitches, I think, in another minor league.
1: So maybe his pitch count is between 60 and 70 maybe tonight or 65 and 75?
0: Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN uh kevin mccormick talks sixers tonight with josh on game night we've got sixers and raptors saturday and we have another chance for you to qualify for pick your trip coming up in less than 10 minutes
7: now back without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And that's for caller number seven, 573 3776.
0: 609 573 3776. Caller seven. Yes, you will be qualified for a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice. You get airfare, hotel, pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. All thanks to our friends at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. I bet you they were packed today with the beautiful weather. Get a nice sandwich over at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop. Caller number seven we will see you at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83 in Cape Bay Courthouse. Caller seven, good luck. One more chance to qualify tonight at 655 on game night with Josh.